tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007, our free phone number. won't cost you to make that call. And Emma is looking after the show today. Coming up on the programme, hundreds gathered in Nina for Shane McGowan's funeral. Ashari Addiction Treatment Centres are calling on the public to give the gift of hope this Christmas. We'll be speaking to our good friend, autism campaigner Cara Darmody and our listeners reacting to various topics on the programme. So all of that and much, much more on the way. We're also, once again this week, celebrating shopping for Christmas in Thurles. We have two more €50 vouchers to give away. And uh, today we're giving away a €50 voucher for the photo station. That's at Fire Street in Thurles and the wonderful Arch Bar on Liberty Square. So we'll give you a cue to call on that. This is what you have to listen out for. (laughs) Ho, 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 ho! It's Christmas in Thales. And when you hear that, uh, you can text or WhatsApp uh, 83 311 uh, Give us your details and put Thurlis at the end of your um, text or WhatsApp and we will pop you in the draw. It's as simple as that. Let's have a look at the front pages of your newspapers today. The Irish Daily Mail leading with that story that Pat brought you there. Um, doctors have warned grandparents not to visit newborns this Christmas as the spread of the RSV has resulted in up to 100 babies being admitted to intensive care in the past six weeks. So that will be um, very, very disappointing indeed, I'm sure, for grandparents out there this Christmas. The Irish Independent, uh, leading with the story that children's anxiety about tests increases as they progress uh, through primary school, according to a major new study. And the sixth report in the Children's School Lives series, a groundbreaking study into the experience of uh, school children, found that by fourth class they had started to report higher levels of test anxiety. Remarkable picture on the front of the Indo today as well. Locals in the village of Leitrim could not believe their eyes as a tornado swept down the main streets, tearing the roofs off houses and damaging cars with falling debris. And the wild weather came as two storms hit Ireland back to back. But, I mean, it it, it really is like a war zone in that village of Leitrim. Um, the Irish Times dominated by a wonderful picture indeed of Daniel Whiffen, who has become the first Irish swimmer to break a world record. He's from County Armagh and uh, won uh, his uh, third gold medal of the week with a victory in the 800 metre freestyle yesterday, uh, taking three seconds off the previous record at the European Short Course Championship. So well done to him. The lead story on the Times today, ministers are set to approve large reductions in benefits for refugees coming from Ukraine in future as accommodation pressures for other nationalities claiming asylum has worsened. And also, I'm not sure if you've been following what's happening where COP28 is concerned, but the COP28 president held a special meeting of all the ministers at the UN climate talks in an effort to secure a breakthrough deal on fossil fuels, uh, which potentially could be a global first for the International Climate Summit. Now, I find that rather ironic because you might remember last week he ended up in a bit of a spat with our own Mary Robinson where he was claiming that the uh, science was kind of dodgy 
uh, around fossil fuels. But anyway, there you go. The Irish Examiner, now the main story there, banks and ATM operators could be forced to reinstall cash machines in towns and villages under new access to money laws, which has to be a good thing. That's a look at what's making headlines today. If you want to uh, comment on any of that again, 083-311-3311 you can email tip today at tipfm.com Now thousands gathered in Nina on Friday to bid farewell to one of Tipperary's greatest sons. Shane McGowan's funeral was held in St Mary's of the Rosary Church with the great and good from music, entertainment and politics gathering in Tipperary to say goodbye. Now the streets were lined with fans who turned out to pay their respects on a rather cold Friday evening in Nina. Here's a look back at some of the most poignant moments from Friday's incredible service. I've been loving you long time Down all the years Down all the days And I've cried for all your So I decided to come today because I'm fortunate that I live um, nearby the church so like I could just pop along and I really wanted to be part in the moment, especially to stand in solidarity with, with other people far and wide to celebrate his life, especially as he was one of our own homegrown talents. Just a big influence on us, you know what I mean? Been listening to his music now for 30 odd years and obviously we've come all the way from Scotland. No, we wouldn't miss it. So, well, we've been going now for 30 years, these concerts. Any time he came to London, anywhere in Britain, we were there to see him. So we just obviously all these concerts. Well, I'm local and we all know Shane. I know of him anyway. He gave plenty of entertainment to people. He made people happy, you know what I mean? But an awful lot more than our politicians. So we kind of know it. It's nice to be nice and life, isn't it? Just huge fans. Of, of Shane over the years for the last 35, 40 years. Met Shane in the Kiwi Bar in Nina here. Spent a couple of great nights and met him at concerts down the years as well. We pray for a deeper spirit of compassion in the world. May we feel the pain of others, understand their need, and reach out to all who suffer in any way with a continuous love that is rooted in faith and peace. Lord, hear us. Shane was so proud of his, his ancestors and he, he spoke about them all the time and he sometimes communicated with them. I've never really met anyone with so much love, respect, admiration and appreciation for his own family. I guess everybody who knew Shane knew how much he hated funerals, huh? It was very hard to get him to go to a funeral. Um, there were very few that he did go to. Um, I guess his mother's funeral, um, Ronnie Drew's funeral, but very few others. He didn't like the idea of death. He didn't want to talk about his own death. Ever. He didn't believe he was going to die, ever.
Shane would have enjoyed that, actually. He would, uh, that's some, that's some, uh, send off, my brother. So, Shane, you did what you dreamed. You did what you said you were going to do in those long ago days in Tipperary. And you did it with such heart and fire. A fire that is not dimmed by death. For you have lit that fire and it burns now in Ireland and all over the world. That's a little flavour there of that uh, incredible service. Now, the attendance of President Michael D. Higgins uh, placed a, a type of seal of approval from the Irish nation on a funeral that was replete with symbolism and imagery. Now, in keeping with the protocol that surrounds the attendance of an Irish president at funerals, an official local escort was required to accompany the head of state on Friday. That honour fell to the chairperson of Nina Parish Council and a, a great friend of the show here, uh, Dr. Connor Reedy. Connor, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you this morning? I'm very well indeed, Connor. But how are you more importantly? Because what a day. I mean, you know, it, it, it was just incredible, wasn't it? What a day. What an honour. What a privilege. Uh, what a moment for the people of Tipperary and Ireland. Um, there are no words, I think, that will adequately sum up the experience that people felt inside the church and outside the church and on the streets mm. of Nina on Friday. Everyone had their own moment. Everyone had their own standout, stand, standout experience, their own mm. standstill moment where they stopped and they caught themselves and they said, oh my God, I'm here. I'm part of this. I'm part of this historical moment the likes of which we have never, ever seen or experienced before in Nina. And uh, can I talk to you about you accompanying the President in, in just a moment, but did you have any idea that the service was going to become what it became, which was an iconic event in so many ways? No, no. I mean, uh, in my own head, I suppose, and in, in my own experience of what I was hearing during the week, which actually was very well guarded, I suppose, mm. that the, the finer details were well guarded. Um, I, I knew there would be, I, we all knew, I suppose, and I knew there would be music. I knew that I, I got the call this day week from Father Pat, with whom I work very closely anyway, and who's a friend. And um, I, I knew that it was going to be a tremendous honour, but I we knew there'd be music, we knew it would be special, we knew the president would be there, um, and we knew that certain uh, other, you know, key individuals mm. from the world of art and artistry, not just from Ireland, would be present, that poetry would be a big part of it, that music would be a big part of it. Um, but, no, that you, you, we didn't, I don't think anybody foresaw the iconic event that it became. I don't think anybody foresaw how special it became because, Fran, you can plan for this, you know, you can put together and they put together a program of music and faith and prayer 
joy and happiness all weaved into one. But you cannot then, when it comes to that moment, three o'clock on a, on a Friday afternoon, you cannot manufacture spirit. You cannot manufacture feeling. You cannot manufacture the emotion that just was building all the week through Nina and was unleashed um, at that three o'clock hour on Friday afternoon. That's not something you can create. Can, can you can you indicate that to me? What what was that like? Uh, I mean, what were what was the atmosphere like in the church? I suppose is what I'm saying. Con. The atmosphere in the church was building for hours um, in advance, yeah. and in fact, it was it was a product, I believe, of a feeling, a surrealness that was building all week in the town of Nina. Uh, and anyone that you have on today will, I, I think, support that. That this, there was this day by day, as the day approached, there was this atmosphere, mm. a, a good thing, a good atmosphere, a positive vibe, but something none of us had ever felt before was building all week long. And so inside the church, the church was well filled up, I'd say, to capacity by about one o'clock, maybe. I could be wrong because I went in for, with with some colleagues from the parish office. Um, we went in, we went over, which which is located across the road on the church roadside, um, where the 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 hearse came in and that. Um, so we went over about one o'clock, and we just to just to go into the church, not to sit down because I already had my seat allocated from earlier, mm. obviously, mm. but just to get a feeling of the vibe inside the church and we kind of um, plowed our way through the crowd just to feed and to hear a bit of the sound check going on. And I have to say at that point in time, everyone was seated. This is about one o'clock, 20 past one. And the feeling of <clears throat> inside the church, the feeling of expectation, anticipation, joy, um, excitement, all the things that you don't necessarily expect at a funeral, mm-hmm. but also the feeling, it, and, and yet this was all, Fran, this was all, I have to say, cloaked in an air of respectability and respect yes, yes. and reverence um, that, you know, people need to remember was ever-present throughout the whole day, um, despite the fact that it, it was irreverent and it was, mm. it was, uh, raucous at times. Yes, even, and it had a, wi- a wildness about a it, wildness. which I thought was and, and, just and a, remarkable. A, yeah. a bit like the Pogues themselves, yeah. a kind of a, a, a slight anarchy, you yes, know? Yeah. But but always, always, and people need to know that from, from those of us who were inside the church, um, whatever you think you might have seen on the screen, and if you were, you know, if you're a person of faith and care, cares about what happens in a church, believe me, Believe me when I say that even in the hours leading up to it, the reverence and the respect was ever-present. It was beautiful. I've never in my life... Which is, which is so important. T- tell me about your role then where the president uh, was was concerned, Connor. That That is protocol, is it? That, that is protocol. Yeah. So I'm fortunate enough in... To, to be the chairperson of Nina Parish Council. And um, it, uh, it's a role, I suppose, that for me is very much an administrative one. And um, so, But there, believe me, there are many, many great volunteers who, who help to run Nina Parish, and I'm only a tiny cog in the wheel. So um, 
the when the president attends a funeral, um, either his aide de camp or himself or herself, if the case may be, will be in attendance. And the standard is a, a, a dialogue opens up between the local parish authorities, wherever that may be, and and the idea is that the president will be accompanied by somebody local and they will recommend that if you have a parish council, which all parishes do, then it's the chair of the parish council or someone of that person's choosing. So I got the call from Father Pat last Monday evening inviting me to do this um, and I was, I, like, I was daunted by the prospect not of meeting the president or being with the president but I suppose of the the occasion and the prospect of, course, of the occasion yes. which really I felt very overwhelmed and, about And what does advance. it entail Connor? Is it a case that you introduce the president? Yes then, it's it? quite simply that you are you sit you first of all you greet the president at the car alongside the the priest mm-hmm. Father Pat Gilbert uh, you meet him you, you're introduced you walk him to the seat and you sit with him for the entirety of the event if there are any local needs that he has um, in those three hours then you would attend mm-hmm. to that and if, if there's if there's something he requires there wasn't there usually isn't mm-hmm. and um, you also introduce him to the family at the start of the event yes. at the start of the funeral and you guide him over you guide him back and um I also was honoured to guide the uh, Taoiseach aide de camp as well, who was sitting directly behind me. And um, I kind of took care of her as well Mm. because she didn't have an official escort. And then sit with the president uh, throughout the event and see him back to the car or... In the case of Friday, it's as close mm. to the car as uh, we got before the scrum of course, uh, separated yes. us forever. And so, how how did he feel about uh, the event, Connor? Did you get a sense oh, from him of? He was in his element. Mm. I mean, he he was he was absolutely he was blown away by certain parts of us. Uh, when John Sheehan from the Dubliners uh, had a solo piece of music at one point, he was. He was nearly lepping out of the seat to try and hear that and to try and um, hear that above the noise that was going on, I suppose, in general in the church. Um, He was completely engaged with all of the music. Um, I think for him, as for most of us, and he he did tell me this himself, a standout moment was Father Pat Gilbert's homily, um, which if anyone has missed it, has not heard it, I would encourage you to do so. It was something for the ages. And the president listened intently and it was much later in the funeral, in a a moment when it was possible to speak, he turned to me and just, he he just let me know exactly what he felt about it. He he thought he'd never heard anything like it. Isn't that wonderful? And the pressure on Father Pat, I mean, the spotlight of of the world, indeed, on him. Uh, that homily was so important. What was it not, Connor? How how did he deal? How did he deal with that sort of stress? Father Pat is someone I've come to know since he came to Nina over the past year and a quarter or so. Um, he is uh, the only way I can describe him is the coolest dude you'll ever meet. Mm. Um, mm. He really is, uh, and Father Des before him, who I was, who I was, uh, you know honour to work with for so many years and also a great friend and Father Pat uh, you know he, he's he's very cool he doesn't uh, he doesn't cave he feels the pressure mm. Mm. but he doesn't let the pressure get to him 
and he, he places his confidence and his trust in others as he did all the week. So you're allocated, you're invited as I was to do your thing and he puts his trust fully in that, that mm. I'm going to deliver on well, that. Well, delegation is a great and sign of a leader, isn't delegate it? Delegate you know? and, yeah. and have the trust to delegate and then mm. to allow you the, the space to do that. And he had other people, obviously. I mean, mine was a small role, really, because it was just an on-the-day role, but there was so much organisation that was needed. And he... He was happy enough to let other people do that and give himself, and you know, because he had so much to do, he had so mm. much to organise. Mm. So he coped with the pressure very well. What people need to know about Father Pat is that he's a rock and roll priest anyway. Mm. Father mm. Pat is the person who first put a guitar into the hands of Mundy and taught him how to play the guitar. Oh. Wow. And wow. Not many people know that. So um, he his knowledge of punk and of 70s rock and roll, uh, or rock, I should say, music, was yes. not something that he just had to research uh, so, for so the homily. So he was perfectly placed, I he guess, then, very for, well for, placed, for the homily. Uh, to do that. Un- and unfair he, question in some ways, I, I, I think, yeah. Connor, but talk to me about some highlights. Um, and, and I'm conscious we're still talking about a funeral uh, <laughs> here, but, but highlights, Connor. Oh, me. my goodness. Well, that's, uh, as I said at the start, and I'll tell you mine, as I said at the start, everyone will have their moment. Yes. Um, in in 1997, when Princess Diana died, and I've had people say this to me, and it may like seem like a weird comparison. Obviously, Britain stood still, and I think that this was Nina's and Tipperary's Diana moment, without maybe the the explicit sadness and shock, because while we were all sad for Shane's passing, and one of your speakers in the the, the piece you played at the top said, you know. We all felt we knew Shane, even mm. though we'd never met him. Mm. So, um, in the in the funeral itself, um, as you know, uh, I lost my mother just over a year ago mm. um, after a long illness, and all I could feel personally was my, my father went four years earlier. All I could feel personally was my parents uh, on my shoulders, complete, and my godmother who died um, as well, just after my mother last year. So I could feel them around me all the time and I could feel their presence so every time for me one of the pieces of music started like um, Rainy Night in Soho I was in bits I was a blubbering mess Um, and the same for all of the music really and I was keeping it together but what I will say um, highlights the the rock orchestra the rock trad orchestra Mm. of music Mm. in that church in that setting Sharon Shannon, John Sheehan, the Pogues, obviously Glenn Hansard and and Nick Cave, all of that, all fused together, creating this this cornucopia, this this uh, just feast of great music in a resplendent setting that is the 125-year-old, 26-year-old St. Mary of the Rosary Church. It's just something that was was so perfect, so emotional. But also, then you had the spoken moments. I mean, uh, Aidan Gillen mm. uh, stood up to, to do his reading, and this wasn't the type of formal mass where it was a reading from the Book of Revelations. It wasn't like that. It was... Because the the readings weren't actual readings. What they were was selected passages from the Bible that the family chose. Yes. So this was this was the real thing, raw, uh, from the Bible. 
And Aidan Gillen, you know, he, he stood to do his and he just said, more revelations. And he read, but he didn't actually read because he had prepared beforehand. So his eyes barely went to his text. And he, he it was performative, if you like. Um, everybody, no, I mean, mm. you know, there, there, so there were, there were those moments. Um, there were the, the, the bringing up and... President and I had a quick word about this where the bringing up of the symbols of life at the start and there were at least 10 of those I think and the symbols of Shane's life at the start for me set the tone mm. because mm. it was up, it was uplifting and it was narrated by the, the spoken context was provided by Victoria, his wife and the people important to him then brought up those symbols. And, I mean, like we all try to do in funerals of our loved ones, we pick things that were reflective of life. And this was something I very much related to from my own family experience, where, where symbols were brought up that meant a lot to Shane, that reflected the man, and um, including the, the box of Barry's tea bags, yes. uh, which has turned Father Pat, and he doesn't realise it yet, into a Facebook meme, um, <laughs> because I saw him holding it up. I, I saw I, that, somebody yeah. had the picture out there, and uh, and a, a caption under it, brew this in memory of me holding up the Barry's tea <laughs> bags. When he hears that, he hasn't seen it yet, but when he does, he's... He, he, Very good, yes. But, I, um, I saw one with a Hurley as well. Where that's was, right, yeah. the Hurley as well. And, yeah. and so, uh, just, just so beautiful, so meaningful, so respectful. Um, obviously, uh, again, another intake of breath moment for everyone was Johnny Depp yeah. um, doing his prayers to faithful and you know sitting as I was for the funeral he was just off camera from where people were looking if they looked on the parish webcam but then we didn't realise till we all came out that we were live on Sky News for three hours we had no idea afterwards. And a lot of people making that point, in fact, yes. how, how the BBC and how Sky uh, covered this, as oh, opposed to, to RTE. Who, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, this, this was something that, because it wasn't meant to happen, that was not on the cards. Yeah. When Johnny Depp went up to give his um, prayer of the faithful, and um, I have to tell you, Fran, again, you know, like many people, I'm a fanboy of Johnny Depp, mm -hmm. and uh, I was, you know, you cannot manufacture that level of cool. Believe me, you yes. have to be born with it. Yeah. And he just, he, he tipped the head to Father Pat, and he tipped the head to Shane in a little tiny hand gesture, maestro. And it was just, it was something that, and I'm there 15 feet away from that, 10 feet from that, and I'm saying, I I got so overwhelmed, I couldn't look at him then, you know, because it was just oh a magical God. moment. And then there was, it had its, as you know, it had its absolute light moments, but mm. there was one of the light moments came uh, during communion of all times, um, when things got a little bit raucous off to the side. Mm. People, so Johnny Depp was sitting off to the side, as I say, and in chairs because he came in so late. Uh, mm. they, he, he was kind of sitting to the side, not visible necessarily to the whole church, but um, still in a prominent enough position when people were coming down from receiving Holy Communion. And they started to shake hands with him. And they started to, uh, you know, try to get selfies and all the rest. And um, at that point, the two bodyguards had to step in front of him to prevent that from happening because mm. communion was getting uh, was was still ongoing. Of this course, was yes. The most reverent mm. moment, probably in a in a in a Catholic mass, you know. So they mm. did the right thing by stepping in front of him because people were so overwhelmed at the sight of him. But the music, Fran, it comes back. I think for a lot of us to to the music, to yes. the privilege of being around that talent, and 
being around that kind of um, of of artistry and people who loved Shane McGowan, mm. people who knew him, giving him the send off he deserved. Of course, and, and at and, a personal and, level, yeah. I sorry, I beg your pardon, Colin. Yeah, yeah. Mm. at a personal level, I was three feet from his coffin. I was three feet from his dad, Morris, who was the other side of the aisle. You know, that yes. was um, for me something. Well, I like, suppose it's a privilege. Connor, when suppose, when yeah. is someone like me, someone like any of us in that church, ever going to get that privilege again? So, um, well, Connor, thank you for giving us a sense of 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 the occasion and of uh, the funeral. But uh, you know, a remarkable time for Tipperary because I, I said this several times last week, Connor, and we'll we'll finish on this. Yeah. Uh, we all knew the association with Tipperary, but very few of us knew that this was at his core and this is what he would have wanted, you know? Yeah. Um, there were a few revelations, to use that word again for all of us in this. I live about 10, 12 doors from Philly Ryan's pub. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> and I never knew, I, I mean, I knew that Shane went there, but I never yeah. knew... Uh, that with the, the the level of connection, as you said, I suppose that was there. Um, but what I also didn't know, and I think it probably came as a shock to those of us who didn't know him personally, was the depth of his faith. Yes. And yes. his interaction with his faith and his practice of his faith. And I have to say, it's given me a lot of food for thought myself over the weekend. And reflecting on that you know, in, in how different people and in, interact with their faith in different ways and how this meant so much to him and that the funeral he may have wanted was the funeral he got, mm. but it was one, despite the raucousness and everything, mm. that still had at its core... Of course, um, and, this, and you're a historian, Connor. and, you know, in 50 years' time, when a historian is looking back at 2023, I mean, this is this is going to be pivotal, isn't this, it? This know? is... Yeah. This, this is in a, so many ways, uh, a coming of age for yeah. North Tipperary and the town of Nina in terms of our own cultural awareness, um, our own in, if, engagement with our culture, our own realisation mm. of the depth of our culture, which I think maybe not all of us already had. And I think that in again, for the way the people of the mm. town and the people of North Tipperary and, and the town of Nina embraced this all the week. Um, and the, the pride they had in someone who was of this community, who was of this, the rural community and the town of community uh, around Nina and well, North Tipperary. Connor, we, we must leave home. it there, but thank you so much for that. And it's great to get that Delighted insight friend. into what's happening. And congratulations to everybody involved. And I know it sounds odd when we're talking about a funeral and we're congratulating people, but I mean, it was an incredible event as well as everything else. Con Connor, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you so much, Fran. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, my great friend, uh, Dr. Connor Reedy there, chairperson of Nina Parish Council. And indeed, he looked after President Michael D. Uh, throughout the funeral last Friday. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.com. Now, 50 primary schools across Tipperary will benefit from the Hot School Meals Programme, which begins from April of next year. And uh, that's according to Finnegale Senator for Tipperary, Garage Hearn, who's with me. In 
studio. Good morning to you, Gareth. Good morning, Frank. Good morning to your listeners. Uh, Happy Christmas. Good good to talk to you today. I'm confused between the 63 and the 60. 63, can, actually. Can, yes. Can you can you tell me about that? Yeah, so this is the Hot Schools Meal Programme. So back in 2019, the then Minister for Social Protection, Regina Doherty, put out a kind of a pilot uh, uh, thing where 30 schools across the country would receive hot meals. So this was on the back of reports that were done that children, uh, there's an awful lot of children come to schools that aren't getting fed uh, nutritious food. This is an impact on their development and on their education and everything that goes with it. So a pilot project was done, very successful, and then they rolled it out to Desh schools. So you remember a couple yes. of years ago in Tip Town, um, Louise Tobin actually was very vocal on it at the time, and the government gave all five primary schools in Tipperary Town hot meal schools programmes. Well, it's been developed on, and again this week, um, Minister Heather Humphreys put it, she put out an expression a couple of months ago for schools to to apply for it. So the long term plan from government is to have all hot school meal, uh, uh, all hot school meal programs for all primary schools by 2030. Now that's 3,300 schools right across the country, and last week 900 of them have been um, have been added, 63 in Tipperary. So like a range of schools here locally that people would know, like Powerstown. Ratkeven, Clara and Grange or Finnan, um, 63 schools. So essentially what that means is that they, every day from, from April coming, April 2024, um, they will have uh, a full hot meal um, every day while they're in school. And that's for, for every child? Every child. For, for, every for child. Every so child. there's about 1,500 children on this uh, the, uh, yes. uh, 900 schools and across the country. I presume we're, we're talking about nutritious meals here, are we? I mean, oh yeah, ab- absolutely. Yes. So, well, actually I said 1,500, uh, uh, 150,000 children across the country. So yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a full hot meal for the child. So like what happens now in a modern family is both parents are working, child goes to school early in the morning, um, school finishes at three o'clock say but then they stay on for after school yes. after school crash gets picked up five or six o'clock in the evening uh, it's very important that children get fed and unfortunately when you talk to teachers um, teachers will tell you there's a lot of children um, who don't get fed the right food um, uh, uh, parents are in a rush or unfortunately some parents aren't in a position to be able to to be able to to do it to the standard that needs needs to be done um, so this has been rolled out the schools will be contacted by the Department of Social Protection in the next number of weeks and it's up to the schools to outsource uh, who does it for them. Oh, there's, is that how it works? Yeah, okay. so that, like, you know, there's 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 different places in every county that provide uh, this service. L- lunch bag in, in, in course, Tipperary would be big very well known. Story, huge yeah. success yeah. Um, story. Um, but there's a range of, there's a range of companies uh, who do it. Um, but look, the important thing here is to be able to support families and support children to give them the yes. best opportunity possible. Have you spoken to principals and teachers? I mean, are, are there benefits in terms of concentration and focus? I like, absolutely. I was in uh, the official opening in CARE a couple of months ago where the teacher came down to open the, the, the new primary school in, Clare, in CARE uh, where Brendan Horn is and they have the hot schools uh, programme there yeah. and it's been a fantastic success. And I went I went in to see it actually that uh, uh, where where it's prepared, where it's held, um, and then rolled out to the children, and and they would tell you, and uh, mm. you know they've they've a vast array of of kids in there, um, a huge amount of kids, and a real success since that building uh, is been opened. Um, it just mm. changes it completely for for kids. Now you'll always have kids where it has no effect, and you know they've been sure, well fed course, beforehand, yes. and their concentration is good. But it's it's for it's for other kids um, yes. who really really need but, it. But my only concern is about facilities in the school that's necessary to look after the food, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So like essentially. 
essentially what what most schools have is 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 in a certain room there's a container where it's kept, where it's kept warm for them um but that's that's probably why we've we've said look it can't fully be rolled out until 2030 um so when the expression was put out to principals to apply for it obviously they need a room or need somewhere available in their school that can accommodate that can accommodate this not all schools have it um but certainly by 2030 that's the plan uh, that 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 would be there for all schools. Like if you have a very small primary school, they're very limited on space. Mm. Um, but then, you know, if they're limited on space and it's a small school, they need very little space to actually accommodate this as well. So it's just about getting um, right, getting so, everyone so on board. So full, full kitchen facilities is not. Oh no, 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 no! You don't need full kitchen facilities. So, okay. so it's, it's cooked offside and it's kept it's kept warm in a in, in for all the world. It actually looks like a fridge, but it's but it's a heating container that that keeps it warm. And then you would have someone working there for a number of hours to to make sure that it's 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 prepared right and it's it's yeah. It Somebody properly. making a, a point. Well, it's an interesting point. I'm sure that, you know, hot meals and subsidies for those on low incomes and kids who mightn't have the benefits of, you know, food coming from home or, or whatever. And and then, I suppose, the fact that all kids are getting it. I mean, wh- yeah. what about that discussion? Well, I, you know? the, the, probably the best way to look at this is from the child's perspective rather than the capabilities of the parents or, or the, the salary of the parents or whether they can afford it. So first. Some sometimes you know there's there's a child that could be uh, in a family setting that could be well able to to feed their kids, but it just doesn't happen for whatever yes. reason. Um, I think we need to look at this from the perspective of we need to make sure every single child in this country at a primary school level has has everything in place to give them the best opportunity possible, and feeding the child and having them well fed and uh, with a nutritious meal is one element of it. Um, but there's there's other things we've done as yeah. well in terms of, in terms of you know free free bus free bus service or relatively free bus service now to schools free school books uh, at primary school level mm. extending that to secondary school level so there's been an yeah. awful lot of measures. Brought you know, in. I don't have to tell you and I know it's for another day but the issue around the buses of course every, oh, sure, every, every yeah. single yeah. year yeah. we we have every, it for, every for September. Sure. Um, that, that's good news anyway. But ministers set to approve that large reduction garage in benefits for refugees coming from Ukraine in the future, mainly I suppose because accommodation pressures now yeah. are just in, in, incredible. Um, what about that? Because I know that it's only for refugees who will come in. Yeah. Those refugees who are here, they will remain on the benefits then. Yeah, so essentially we've, we've about 100,000 Ukrainians here at the moment that have came since, since the war started almost two years ago now. Um, but essentially what we're saying is that um, anyone who comes into the country, um, it was passed by cabinet, it'll be passed by cabinet this week and then brought in early next year. Uh, anyone who comes in from Ukraine um, won't receive the full social welfare benefit, won't receive housing long term. And essentially the reason for that is, well, it's twofold really. One is that we're uh, we've a challenge ourselves in how we how we can possibly accommodate them, and second, it's it's essentially to try and minimise on secondary movement. Mm. So it's happening with a lot of people who are coming from Ukraine. They stay in the European country for a number of months, and then they decide to come to Ireland. So they're making an economic. I think the figure decision. is almost one third of those coming in from Ukraine yeah, into and, this country yeah, are we're, we're, we're a secondary. Yeah, and if you think about it, it makes sense. So for mm. most people from Ukraine, they either speak Ukrainian, Russian, or English. So we're the only English-speaking mm. uh, country. In the, in the European Union. Ah, but Our, that's not why they come. Well, they're, they're coming well, because we're, we're, no, that, no, we're that's more what, generous yeah, than no, any other country. So, so there's a number of reasons. So that's yeah. the first one. Uh, the second one is because we're, we're very generous. The third one is because there's job opportunities for, for in Ireland. There's, there's mm. a huge amount of job opportunities. The, the, the fifth one is we're the furthest country away from Russia. That actually has an impact on it. Um, mm. 
But what we need to make sure is that we can accommodate people who actually come in here mm. and that the people who do come in and do need but our we help can't that now. we're in our so position. So is, is this an admission, Gareth, that we can't? That well, Ireland, Ireland is full? Well, I, 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 I think it's a, an admission that... Um, that we can't give the same supports to people coming coming through. So what we can do is we can continue to the people who are here already, uh, but we can continue the same supports for more people mm. coming through. Like the the war is the war is on almost two years. You know, there's, mm. anyone who's fled Ukraine has fled already. So anyone who's coming into Ireland, or almost anyone who's coming into Ireland from Ukraine, has been in another European country for a period of time. All we're saying is that needs to be spread out between mm. all European countries and the best way to but do what, that what, because you can't, you can't do it uh, we, legally we'll you be need saying to do we will provide accommodation for people for 90 days we'll give them I think around t- 38 euro uh, for the, but what happens after the 90 days I mean do you yeah well uh, so our argument where is where did they go we don't well, have well, housing well our argument is that they don't like it's, it's not a necessity for them to be here um, so if they come uh, they've made a decision to come predominantly from another European country. So it's not, it's not that they're going to come here and then we're, then we're saying in 90 days there's nothing we can do for you. It, it's a message to put out there to say, look, mm. the supports that we get before aren't there anymore. We're not as, right. as an but attractive place to do we send them home? Come. No, what, we, what we're doing is we're saying to them, look, there's an opportunity to work here if you want to work, of course. Um, there's an opportunity to live here, but you'll have yeah. to pay for your own accommodation, your own rent. The well, exact well, same as you, any other European country. Where do you country. get the accommodation, you see? I mean, we don't have it. Yeah, but I, I think what will happen with this is the numbers will be reduced on the back of this. And that's uh, what this is about, really, isn't well, it? Well, yeah, like, look, you, we can't uh, we can't break um, um, uh, United, uh, United Nations law, we can't break EU law. Um, this was agreed two years ago that, that people that people from Ukraine would be allowed in, into, mm. into Europe and yes, be given not, shelter. Not unlimited. But we but have to make sure that it's spread out in some way and the only way to do that is to make sure that the supports that are given in Ireland are pretty much the same as are given Mm. in Poland are given in Italy are given Mm. in Holland and that spreads out where people And and can I ask you because I know you're doing a little canvassing at the moment is this not the big issue when people are talking to you? Um, No it is like you'd always find local issues are big issues so um, you know uh, But these uh, are local issues Well no they are but they're they're concerns they're they're definitely concerns but I think people are very open to the fact that we want to support people too but um, you know, you, 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 but is I, that not diminishing as time rolls on and we have our own issues to deal with? And yeah, no, like that, that's understandable. But like, at the end of the day, we're actually in a very strong position. So I find when we have these conversations, uh, we always talk about we have our own issues, and we have our own problems, and we do. But we're actually very fortunate. Mm. We're we're in a very good position. At we the don't moment. have you houses. Know, no, no, no. But yes. there's, there's a lot of things that are very good. Um, you know, the, the employment is good. Uh, job creation is is very good. Exchequer figures for November were phenomenal. To, uh, coming back, uh, income tax has gone mm. up. Um, you see all the supports that are being given out to people at the moment during Christmas tax period is dropping though. Uh, well, November uh, went up twenty seven percent. It dropped to three months before. It, uh, uh, annually, it's gone up five percent. But ju- just just to be clear, like all of those payments that are being given at the moment for Heather Humphrey's office for people living alone, the the cares uh, grant, all of those have been given based on the on, on the fact of corporate tax and income tax going up. So we are in a good position. Not dismissing the fact that we have challenges in health service and we have challenges in housing even though those are improving um but you know mm. we, we 
It's, it's interesting. We were chat- chatting about very important stuff, like like the, the, the primary schools getting hot meals and all of that. Um, the moment we, we talk about this, I'm just looking at the screen here, that absolutely lights up, but I'm sure I don't have to tell you yeah. that. It's, it's a huge issue. Will you talk to me before I let you go a little bit about Irish water? Because, again, outages, not not only in the Clonmel area, yeah. right around the county, but particularly in the Clonmel area. Yeah, and it hap- huge, huge issues here. Yeah, no, exactly, Fran. It happened this weekend again where there was, yeah. where there was more outages. And just so people are very clear, most people from Clamwell would know this anyway or would suspect this, but there is no town in this country that has had more outages or disruptions uh, to its water supply than Clamwell. Um, so <coughs> there's a, a an organisation in, in Clamwell, a business group that set up a couple of months ago, which be headed up by William, William Burke in, in the Talbot Hotel, but uh, I had a number of them come to Dublin last week to meet with the Minister for Housing who's responsibility over water, that's Dara O'Brien. Um, and we had a very good productive meeting and essentially what we're trying to do is um, there's there's a long-term plan in terms of using water from the River Shore to give good quality water into the town. But between now and then, they have a plan which is very um, um, uh, difficult for businesses and a certain area of the town of Clamel, which is <coughs> closing Paula Van Oak, which is a mm. fantastic water supply, good quality water that we have and moving everyone who's on that to Monroe, which is essentially hard water. So if you're a household, you have to get a filter. If you're a business, uh, you'll have to spend an awful lot of money uh, to make sure that uh, that your systems don't break because of the because of hard water. We are trying to our best to convince um, Dara O'Brien to keep Paula Van Oak open until the long-term solution is in place, which is going to be about 10 or 15 years. But, but that all sounds logical. Why Why would that not happen? Yeah, so one of the reasons they gave is there's a report a report from the EPA that said there is um, a, a, a cyctosporidium um, in, in the water in Palvin Oak. Uh, that happened once about five years ago. Mm. Uh, it, it's, this it's, is the bog. Yeah, it's a bog water, basically yes. that, that, that makes the water, that can possibly make the water dangerous. Mm. Um, but if the EPA were really concerned about it, they would have assessed it in the last five years. They haven't been back there since 2019. And even in their report that they gave to Irish Water, they never once said that Pelvin Oak should be closed. So what we're essentially saying to the Minister is, look, we recognise that. We need to make sure the quality is up to standard and it's safe drinking water, which it is. Um, but if anything needs to be done, it can be upgraded uh, uh, for a very short, a very small price. Even Irish Water have admitted that themselves, but they're not willing to do anything unless there's a direction coming from the minister. So essentially what we're doing now is working with the minister to make sure um, mm. that we put our best case forward and convince them to keep so Paul Van Oak open. is there a good chance that it will be kept open? Then? Well, in fairness to the minister, I think he totally got, he totally got what, we, what we were saying. You know, like the most towns in this country would love to have a water supply coming from the mountain where Paul yeah. Van Oak is. Um, but Irish water are low to themselves. I mean, as, yeah. As we discovered. <coughs> yeah, they are. Point, I'm, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm always frustrated, you know, because essentially, being honest about it, it was set up under, under the Fine Gael tenure back in 2014. But, like, you know, we, we have to make sure that there's... Uh, a very justifiable reason put in place by Irish Water if they're going to close it. We don't believe there is, and certainly the businesses and the business community don't believe there is. Um, so it's essentially up to the minister now to to, to make the decision. Okay. When, when will we year. get? Uh, well, we, we we've we've a number of things to do beforehand. Where we have to deal with with the EPA, the um, uh, the group here in Tipperary have another another meeting. Uh, but I, I suppose probably in the new year. Uh, we'll try and get back to the minister okay. again and keep putting pressure on it. Because look, 
it will cost businesses in particular thousands upon thousands of euros if this happens in three years' time, and we're doing everything we can to make sure that that doesn't happen. Very good. Happy Christmas to you. It's going to be a special Christmas in your house, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Well, we have a special day today. We have a, bir- we have a birthday today. Yeah. Jamie's four, and then uh, Daniel was one. Where a couple, did uh, Daniel was one a couple of days ago. I know, yeah. I know we're aging very yeah. quickly, Fran. It's, um, <laughs> no, it's wonderful. We always think, myself and Laura always think this is the start of Christmas when the two yeah. birthdays come, so it's lovely. Very good indeed. Well, happy Christmas to you and the family. Thanks, Gareth. Thank you. Uh, news and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 06724. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Um, 083 And this is your cue. <laughs> It's Christmas in Thurlis. And by way of celebration of Christmas in Thurlis, we have those two 50 euro vouchers to give away. So if you want uh, to text or WhatsApp, uh, do it right now. Give us your name, your details. And if you want to put Thurlis at the end of your message, we will put you in the draw. Now, Ashari Addiction Treatment Centres are calling on the public to invest in people this year and give the gift of hope to those who are struggling with addiction and their families. The organisation, as you will know, consists of four recovery centres in Kilkenny, Tipperary, Wexford and Waterford where they provide residential primary and secondary treatment services. Um, I'm glad to be joined in the studio now by Sarah uh, Cassidy who is Head of Clinical Services at Ash Iree and Robin Hawthorne is with us as well and uh, Robin is a counsellor at Ash Iree and good morning to you both and thanks for, for coming into us and it's good to see you again. Um, Sarah, can I start with you um, on on this? In, in terms of Christmas time, I suppose it's a time where there's over indulgence and there's a lot going on out there emotionally and all of that as well. If somebody is addicted in some way, I suppose, is is it a particularly difficult time? Well, friends, as far as we're concerned, addiction and substance misuse throughout the year is hugely problematic, as you know. But with Christmas, everything is exaggerated. So for many people struggling with substance misuse, there's an issue around coping with emotions um, appropriately. So that's a very big piece for people that struggle with addiction. So as you can imagine, the emotions are heightened around Christmas, whether that be regret, pain, hurt, anger, um, elation. You know, emotions are so heightened around Christmas. And when you put a family together, oftentimes where things might be quite strained um, because of past issues, even throughout the year, you can only imagine it becomes like a, a, a boiling pot of difficulty. And the first thing a person with substance misuse will do is then use even more. Um, which accelerates the problem. So it is a difficult time and where people are kind of forced to be together, similar to how things were in COVID, where people were forced to be together over a period of time. Plus for people, I mean, there's huge pain because the expectations around Christmas for family and children and financial um, stress is so extreme and even with social media and the telly and everything um i feel people are under so much pressure and pressure addiction loves pressure and people will use or have further difficulties where there's pressure and the emotions they can't cope with the emotions appropriately um so we're seeing we do see exaggerated difficulties around christmas um and where things are becoming to crisis point 
Um, so we're encouraging, obviously, mm. at all times, please reach out, you know. You use the word pain quite a lot, and we were chatting off air as well, Sarah, um, because sometimes people would only see the behaviour of, of the addict. And I know it can be difficult to think about what's at the core of that, but we must, mustn't well, we? No, that's so true. I mean, realistically, you know, there is massive pain. And whether that's the pain has developed as a result of addiction or has a result prior to addiction, you know, either or. Anyone that comes to us for help, whether it's the family members or the residents themselves, they are in massive pain. Like, there is a huge amount of pain behind people's stories. Um, And you'll hear the words trauma and all these various things, but you don't necessarily need trauma for addiction to to kick off. There's trauma even in active addiction. So it's just seeing the human um, and what they're going through as opposed to judging the behaviours and what they're doing in substance misuse. It's seeing the whole picture of what somebody's mm. dealing with is really, really important. Yes, but you can understand why people might find it hard where they're in the throes of seeing the behaviour, I suppose, and, and how destructive that yeah. can be from Absolutely. time to time. Absolutely. I mean, people are at their wit's end yeah. just going, would they ever just stop already? Yes. Sure, this is ridiculous. You know, it defies logic, but addiction does defy logic. Despite the biggest consequences on the planet, losing children, losing families, losing everything, addiction will thrive because, again, the emotions, people are not having the ability to cope appropriately with the emotions. So it accelerates. Um, but very hard for family and loved ones to um, accept that. Mm. Now, in recovery, we emphasise massively around responsibility for behaviours. So it's not a get-out-of-jail clause that this is an illness that someone's dealing with. It's certainly not a get-out-of-jail clause that you, you can just behave horrendously yes. badly and get away with it. In recovery, the responsibility kicks in at that point. But up until that point, the element of choice when somebody's in heavy addiction is gone. So, you know, telling somebody to stop, it's it's just not feasible. That's the whole issue. Um, But responsibility Mm. and recovery, yes, 100%. And very much an illness, Sarah. It is, Fran. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that it's an illness that people have and it grows over time. And for those that are predisposed and where it kicks off, it accelerates depending on the substance misuse, it can accelerate very, very quickly. And that's why we have the young people in Kilkenny from 15 years yeah. old to 21. Um, and we're even seeing in our adult services the age range dropping all the time to nearly below 30 or f- more more than ever. It's, it's, it's terribly young now. So it is accelerating very quickly, um, the illness itself. Years ago, it's you would have seen boring, it go on for it? years, yeah. you know. And somebody might come into treatment in their 50s, early 60s, where there's been alcoholism for many, many years. Nowadays, somebody at 25, because of the alcohol and potential other substances like cocaine, it accelerates so quickly and the consequences grow and the pain and the family and the distress grows. Um, so mm. it is an illness, there's no doubt about that. And you do speak of that gift of hope and you do speak about the miracles that you would have witnessed over the time as well. It's important yeah. to hold on to that as but well, isn't it? that's the thing, Fran. Yeah. I mean, that's why Robin and I are here today. I mean, what we've seen with families and the change in people is absolutely phenomenal. To see recovery in action, like there is another option to this. It doesn't have to be, uh, God forbid, somebody passes away or incarcerated or, you know... There's mm. huge hope. People regain their lives over time. They they get uh, a life back. 
and happiness back and a bit of peace of mind and families with a bit of peace of mind at Christmas. I know for a fact there are many listeners today that will be dreading Christmas. Yes. Absolutely yeah. dreading it because they don't know which way it's going to go. Will it be okay? Will it not be okay? Will, will, will Santi arrive? Will he not arrive? We've had many families where, you know, Santi hasn't arrived. I had a young person in treatment very recently. You know, they've never had a Christmas dinner. They'll have Christmas My dinner in, in Kilkenny and Ashiree this year. They've, that's fact. They've never had Christmas dinner. You know, so the, the level of, of pain around the country is, is not always seen. Mm. And equally, the level of hope is not really seen because we've so many people in recovery from Ashiree and always we're going to hear the bad stories as opposed to hearing all the of recovery course, yes. stories. And we often hear, Robin, of the 12 steps and in the case of Ashiree, the Minnesota 12 steps and stuff and we throw around the phrase. And the, I'm not sure if we have a complete grasp of what exactly it is, though. Well, Fran, you're absolutely correct. And I know from my own experience, it took me years to get my head around it. But the 12 sp- steps, in essence, is uh, it's, it's the ethos of what our recovery programme is, is built around. And yourself and Sarah were talking about behaviours. And recovery, recovery for the, for the persons coming through addiction and for the family member, essentially, is around changing behaviours, moving from and unhealthy or unhealthy ways of going about our daily lives into healthier ways of, of going about our lives. And that's what the 12-step programme is about. We, 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 our, our residents, um, they join a two-year recovery support programme, which, again, is around the principles of that. We also provide huge support to family members through concerned persons programmes. Um, and if you don't mind, Fran, I'm just going to take a minute to do a very, very brief synopsis of the 12 steps yeah, for, terrific, for, for yes. the listeners. Yes, please. Because Robert, I know yeah. it, can be, it can be frightening and some people may be turned off. Yeah. Um, but essentially, the, 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 rattling through them, um, step one is really saying, what's the problem? What am I dealing with today? Step two is who can help me? And step three is accepting the help that's available, reaching out and accepting the help. Step four is who am I? Identify, breaking it down, which parts of my life are working and which bits are unhealthy. And the ones that are unhealthy, I share it with someone in step five and I'll go back and work through steps one, two and three. Step six talks about being entirely ready. And in life, we're coming up to Christmas. Be ready for Christmas. Have your Christmas shopping done. Have the the dinner in. Keep it as stress-free as possible. Anything we do in life, be ready. Have your shopping list when you go shopping. Pack your case the night before when you're going on holiday. My wife will be laughing if she's listening. (laughs) (laughs) Step seven talks about humility. Going through life, practicing humility in life. Step eight is about taking responsibility for ourselves. Again, Sarah touched on that earlier on. It's the essence of it. Step nine is about making amends and and again changing where where, where things are unhealthy. Step ten is about checking in with ourselves. Step eleven is about taking time for ourselves. And step twelve rolls it all up and says... Practice the principles, the principles of steps one through eleven, and all our affairs. Be the best human being that we can be. That's incredible, it's Robin. That because I, I realise now that I've spoken about the twelve steps probably for twenty five years with people, and I was never certain about what exactly they they were. You know. Yeah. So it's a way of life. It's a healthy way of living. Addiction, yes. and again, we were touching on it with illness. Addiction presents itself. The symptoms of addiction are unhealthy behaviours. Mm. The yes. symptoms of COVID are a bad chest or a bad cough or a sore head. So right. we change that. But in, in, in it, to recover from addiction, and this applies equally to family members, 
is to change our behaviours, become more healthier, take time for ourselves, be, take responsibility, have a bit of humility rather than entitlement. And you mentioned humility a couple of times as well. Tell me about the importance of that. What, what is that? Is that to realise that you're not just an island yourself? And you're not just an island, but I think today, and I think, again, it's, it's, it's representative of society, it's that, uh, you know, to, to take life and learn life's terms and manage it, it's to, to remove yourself from that sense of entitlement um, unfortunately, that's part of, I think, the illness in, in modern society is that we want things now on our terms yes. uh, immediately. So it's about just stepping back to that from a little bit. Become aware of your family. Become aware of your community. Yes. You know, but uh, it, it sounds to me that even if you're not an addict, it's a great way of re- life. Recovery. This is for living. This is for every one of us. For all the listeners out there, folks, hear what I'm saying Put it into your life. When you've got a problem, ask for help and accept the help. You know, mm. Be prepared. Have humility. Take responsibility. Take time for yourselves. Love yourselves. Just be the best you can be. And that will work. It's very interesting. And I presume this works for, I mean, we were speaking largely about alcohol, but I mean, drugs, gambling, and for, for, for all of them. So, so our re- the residents, they, we, as, a, as an integral part of recovery, is to use the, the 12-step support groups within the community. So you've got Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, and there's many more now. Mm. Uh, and similarly for, for the family members, to use Al-Anon, Gaminon, Naranon, they're f- specifically for family members, particularly Al-Anon, it's by far the most prevalent. Yes. And within those communities, you'll learn those principles, you'll practice those principles, you'll work with people who are, of course. are living And, and nowadays, Robin, we're hearing more and more about multiple addictions. Yeah. Um, Again, same principles. Absolutely, the same principles. It's about a healthy living. You know, the chemical is not the is not in essence the prop. Specifically, the issue whether it's cocaine or whether it's alcohol or whether it's a propensity to gamble. That's the starting point, yeah. but that's not the solution, and that's not that's not a differential. We encourage our our residents to attend. You know, A A N A C A, whichever one of the the ones works for them in the local community, go along. Yes. Because the recovery process is the same. And and that and we've I, focused on recovery. Sorry for that. that. Not, not at all. That idea we have that you have to be at rock bottom before you reach out for help is that a nonsense? Yeah. Well, it works for some people. So I I, I never say I never use the word nonsense, but it's it's it's. We can reach out whenever we reach out today. You know, if I, yes. you know, if, if uh, uh, you know, if I've, if I've got a headache, I reach out today. I don't wait till it, it goes. If I've got right. toothache, I phone the dentist and make an appointment. That's me using the steps. The problem is toothache. The higher power, the solution, the step two is the dentist and, and phoning the dentist, making an appointment and taking up the appointment. Yes. So, so we don't need to be at rock bottom. But, but you take my 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 point that you know, with all the talk around addiction, I suppose over decades we might say, oh, sure, I'm not bad enough. I might I'm be not bad enough. I'm yeah. not bad enough. Yeah, 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 to yeah, yeah, you know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. A, it's never too it's never too early no. to ask for help and to seek help. It's a very good point. Never too early. It's a very good point. Well, people might have been very, very disappointed to hear you say, Sarah, that we're we're talking about younger people now and more of them as well uh, getting into addiction. Yeah, I mean that that's the frightening part, and you've seen a lot of. Um, information about that in the recent times but it is fact um, that because of the increase in accessibility, I know we've spoken about that before, but the accessibility of substances throughout the country now is so widespread that the access for young people through social media 
um, has allowed them to get started on substances that they would never would have reached before without going to cities or you know being embedded in in in, in you know very urban uh, situations now it's so widespread like a web of dealership throughout the country so the younger people are accessing it and as soon as you access it and that increases again obviously the illness can kick off for those that are predisposed to addiction um, and that's why we're seeing so many young people now the great thing is obviously that they're seeking help and mm. they're getting help and going back to that point I mean I'd feel very strongly around the rock bottom piece that it's like an elevator and ideally you get off the elevator at the you know the third floor rather than hitting the basement because obviously recovery is going to be that little bit easier to grab hold of if we're getting off at the third floor and we're not dealing with the basement um, so like Robin said it's never too soon for people to seek help or families to seek help like within Ashiree there's a screening process so if someone were to come and they've asked for help and they're looking for help they come to us for a screening it doesn't mean we're going to um, say that you need residential treatment you might not need residential treatment maybe not um, in that case you know a bit of counselling may be appropriate the family might need support um, outpatient might be appropriate so you know just by seeking support doesn't mean you're going to get thrown into a, a treatment centre you know yes, what I mean? yeah, of course, um, yeah. but where appropriate people will come in and where, where the family is concerned I mean if the family recognises and obviously the family will be the first to recognise that somebody has an issue and if the person themselves then are in denial about that can the, can the family go to you sorry I'm putting Absolutely. this very clumsily can the family go to you then Absolutely. Sarah yep. so we welcome any family member to contact us that might be struggling where their loved one has no interest whatsoever in having a look at their substance misuse yet. But there's a massive ripple effect in a family member seeking a bit of support or help. And once they do that, something changes within a family system. We've seen it over and over and over again, where just by a, a mum or a partner or, or a sibling seeks help, there's some change in the dynamic of the family that can often result in the loved one coming for help then following the family member. It is amazing to see. Now, that mightn't happen overnight, but over time yes. that will definitely happen. But I presume it gives great hope to mm. a family then Huge who are hope. despairing. Huge uh, hope. You know? So rather than being in so much pain, the family, and they can't do anything about the person in, in addiction because the person has to choose themselves to do something around that, the family, by making a change, um, can give themselves massive relief mm. because like Robin said this is a design for living so it's a design for living that you or I any of us can use to cope and to cope with life on life's terms I mean it's just incredible it's a gift and many people that are in recovery will turn around Fran and say God I'm blessed because I actually have a design for living whereas many people haven't come across such a great design for living and it just helps us cope on a daily basis And Robin what about where people are, maybe even without knowing it, that they're supporting the addiction in some way. Um, like, is it important to recognise that where a family is concerned, or, or friends indeed? Absolutely. Um, and in terms of and the, the, the word the family member hates to hear is the word enabling. Enabling, yes. And, uh, and again, it's no fault, no blame, it's not the fun, it's, it's but it's about providing, unfortunately, it's the, the family behaviour, or the family member's behaviour can essentially provide facilitate an environment where addiction is, a, is is able to prosper 
So that's, again, part of the recovery process is to help the family members, again, become aware of the changes that they need to make to facilitate, to, to suck the, the energy or suck the oxygen out of the addictive environment. And that, that, that's a piece, and they can do that. And again, Fran, it comes back to changing the family members' behaviours, because everything which can be every bit as addictive as as the the, the that's very the interesting yes so, but so it's a huge piece a huge huge piece is to get the family member to step back out of the road yes is this tough love in its own way or does that hold other connotations uh, I, I don't like the word tough tough know? love personally yeah. it's just a thing that love is love it's uh it's, uh, but it is a form of love. It's, it's certainly a term. Yes. But it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's just again being, being honest, being responsible, and, and it's, it's putting the responsibility, handing the responsibility back to the, the individual who is yes. responsible for his or her, her actions. Uh, yeah. It's certainly love. It is love. Cer- yeah. Certainly love indeed, yeah. so important. So just to people out there, th- there is hope and that's very central to what you're talking about uh, to us today, Sarah. I mean, because people could well be in the throes of this as we're speaking today, you know. Yeah, I can't emphasize that enough. You yeah. know, the hope is there and it's to grab hold of it now, make a change heading into 2024. Um that's our biggest message is that please reach out, you know, yes. um, because things can be so different, so different. Um, and you would have seen this time and time. Over you and both over would have again, seen this. Yeah, over and over again, like actual potential miracles, you would think, uh, where people are at peace again and they thought that would never be possible. Yeah, that, it must be a great privilege to be around that, Robin. Is it when that turnaround happens? Or? I love you saying that, uh, Fran, privilege. It's, uh, that's exactly what it is. It's a privilege for me to get up in the morning, have a shower, head into the work, and and meet we we meet the most Sarah and I meet the most wonderful human beings mm. on a daily basis, um, family members and residents, absolutely fantastic human beings. The the, the issue is addiction, not a person, and yeah. you know it's it's really really important. And for all your listeners out there who are struggling at the moment, try to however tough it is to to differentiate between uh, the person. And the addiction and the disease, um, but yeah, it's, it's a privilege and an mm. absolute privilege and an honour. I'm just we have to talk about funding, Sarah, because I mean, Ashery has to be funded. And what is the story with that? Can people donate? Can people? Absolutely. I mean, we're a registered charity. Ashery is a registered charity, and we're always looking for any support or help that we can, so that we can run these services to the best and improve them. Um, to the best of our, of our ability. Funding is always limited. It's it's on a treatment based from the HSE and probation and private insurance. But again, it's always down to the wire and looking for funding. Anybody that's in the position to donate in any way to give that piece of hope for people and their families can go to the website and there's an I donate button or can ring our main number 0527441166 and donate if possible. Anything at all can help, you know, whether it's, um, you know, down to just even trying to maintain the facilities. You know yourself, uh, between roofs and tarmac and all sorts of things, we get under major pressure to try and keep the facilities at the best they can be for the people coming to our service. 
And Emma will have details of all those uh, contacts there, just in case you didn't get them from from Sarah. Sarah and Robert, you you know that we admire greatly the work that you do, and thanks thanks very much indeed and for coming And we're delighted into to come in, Fran. We are absolutely delighted and to try and spread the message. Yeah, well, you're welcome anytime. Thanks, thank and a happy thank Christmas. You. Thanks to very much, well. Fran. Happy we'll Christmas. Take a break. We're back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Many, many people on to us uh, to congratulate Father Pat Gilbert uh, for the way that he handled Shane McGowan's uh, funeral and lots and lots of people on to us about that and to congratulate him and and one thing and another. Councillor Davey Dunn was on to say the send-off Shane got was unbelievable and everybody involved should be so proud. No one does funerals like the Irish. Jerry Adams spoke very well and his friendship with Shane went back a long way. Shane was a proud Tipperary Republican, it says here, and may he rest in peace. Uh, thanks for that, Davey. Um, Patrick says Shane McGowan's funeral was on par with Princess Di. Uh, Barry was on to say, I thought the fact that the funeral was on the BBC uninterrupted and not on RTE was another bad reflection of us. Uh, another list was saying, I saw um, on TV George Murphy was also singing at the funeral. What a voice he has, pure tread. Was he indeed? I didn't I didn't see that. Um, Fran, the people of Nina should be rightly proud of the send-off that they accorded to Shane McGowan and uh, it was Father Pat who made it such a unique ceremony. Uh, on a different note, if RTE had any spark of business brain, they'd have the ceremony on DVD. But then again, uh, that would be a too simple a task for them. That's Pat, who's in Ross Gray. Now, I have to acknowledge that there's a lot of talk on social media um, about the funeral and about the nature of the funeral and it does pose the question has Shane's funeral set a precedent around what is acceptable in a church where eulogies are concerned and where music is concerned because I know of families myself who were denied an opportunity to speak about a loved one from the altar during, during a, a funeral mass. I've also come across some very strict rules around uh, non-liturgical uh, music in some churches under certain parish priests at weddings, for, for, for example, where, you know, there was nice music that the bride and groom would have liked to include in the ceremony, but because it was not liturgical, some priests um, banned it. Now, sometimes these rules can cause great distress of families. I mean, how can a priest deny a request for a simple eulogy or a favourite song now, though? Or is it a case that rules don't apply to VIPs? Now, it's an interesting conversation, I'm sure you'll agree, and I'd love to know how you feel uh, about it. I mean, has a precedent been set here uh, with what happened on Friday in Nina? If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. TIP FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, autism campaigner, a good friend here on the show, Cara Darmody, is set to begin interviewing local election candidates and councillors from this week on. And I'm delighted to have in the studio, Cara is with me and her dad, Mark, as well. Good morning to you both and thanks for... Morning, thanks Fran. For How are you? Hi, Fran. Today. 
Cara, how have you been since I since I spoke to you last? You've been busy. Yeah, it's. I suppose it's been quite amazing. But um, just before we start this interview, I just love to give a shout out to my absolutely amazing class in the Larry Show and to my geography teacher, Mister Care. It's the greatest class of all time. Very good indeed. And how is secondary school going for you? How are you? How are you? It's going really, really good, yeah. and I'm enjoying it. And I've made lots of friends, and it's really good. And there's loads of different subjects and all that too. So I'm really enjoying it. Brilliant indeed. Tell me it is, what it is you intend doing with our local councillors and our wannabe councillors as well. What's going to happen? Okay, Fran, so I have big, big breaking news. I'm basically going to be interviewing candidates for the next local elections and basically for anyone who wants to become a county councillor. And every single week, an interview will be printed in the Nationalist and the Tipperary Star and on, and it will be online as well. And as you might already know, I've been to Leinster House about 30 times this year. All you hear from politicians is blah, blah, blah and waffle, 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 waffle. So I think it's time for some tough questions to be asked of them. So, I came up with this idea to create Cara's No Spin Zone, a place where political waffle is totally and utterly banned, <laughs> and it's going to be in my dining room, although my mum isn't too happy about that. And you're not allowed to enter, but if you do enter, then you're going to be asked the tough questions, and the tea and biscuits will be taken off you immediately. I love it, I love it. So, you're going to invite them to your home? Yes. Okay, And it's going to be in good. my dining room. Right, so it's on your territory, yes, so to speak, our territory. Which, which is very good. Can you, I mean, we don't want to give away the game completely, but what will you be putting to them? I mean, you're going to be asking them some hard questions. I suppose every question I ask will be a very tough one, and they're going to be very specific about either local or national politics and issues, and the person will have to answer it directly in about two sentences, and no political waffle is allowed. Full stop. No political waffle. And the candidate will not have any warning about what questions they could be asked, so it will not be very easy for them. But if they can't even face off with a little 13-year-old, then you'd wonder if they should even be a councillor in the first place. That's a very good point indeed. What if they don't want to engage with you? Will you call them out on that? Well, I'm just going to call them out and just say that they're... um, I just accused him of political waffle. Right. Okay. Very good. Mark, it's, it's an interesting idea indeed. I mean, have you had any sort of feedback so far as to whether or not uh, local reps will be yeah, interested morning, in this? Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I suppose she's, uh, once again, she's come up with another idea uh, to try and, you know, hold the politicians to account. And as she says, it's her no-spin zone. So yeah. it's going to be very interesting. And she wants to bring them to the House and to, you know, ask them. But just like, like, like there isn't going to be any gotcha questions here. It's just local and, polit- and, and like, you know, national issues. Uh, the things that are, that you talk about every single day. Yeah. Um, but I suppose, you know, like, look, as she said, she's been to Leinster House so often, she has the grasp of the political uh, knowledge now and she sees, you know, how they duck and dive and think. But, but, but like, I actually think, um, you know, my wife, Noelle, would be the first to say she hasn't one clue about what councillors do or the local issues like that, like, and, and how they fit into that. I think that the voting public will actually be very interested to read um, the simple, simple questions as to where do you stand on various issues. So like we say last week's Nationals was the car parking charges. Why are, why are Clamwell's charges so high and what are you doing about it? And I think that's what people want to know for, from their councillors. So it'll be very it's, interesting. It's a very interesting point because sometimes, you know, with what I do and what journalists in the Nationals do, we're in a little bubble and we all kind of have an idea about what's going on and, you know, what the roles are. But ordinary people trying to get 
along with their lives. They don't have that, I suppose. No, they don't. And I suppose like we're all tuned into the national politics and people yeah. would be very, very tuned into the, you know, even like the local issues. But what are the county councillors' roles in those issues and what does the council do? And, you know, what, like, you, you know, I, I just think that the questions, it's a great idea to ask them uh, very simple but very, very hard questions. Where do they stand on various issues? Mm. Or I would say, you know, if it was Carrick and Shore, St. Bridget's, like, was a very big thing. Like, what did you do about that? How did mm. you help that? You know, I, I mean, like, the public want to know and... Uh, I have a feeling after this programme we'll, we'll, we'll be getting emails uh, with uh, could you ask them this and could you ask this councillor this question and that's fair game I think as, as long as they're reasonable questions and not gotcha questions. No. Um, but just it's interesting and I, 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 as I was saying to Cara if, if people won't engage on this if you know if Yeah so let's just say uh, as I said to you before the phone, we're, we're definitely going to have a few slippery snakes yeah. we'll probably say uh, you know but, but again look this is a huge opportunity for people who actually have done work to yes. get their message out there. So, uh, to be fair, I think most of the councillors have done great work. So I, I don't see many people running. But those who would, look, um, there'll be national interest in this from tomorrow morning. That's all I can say. So, look, she'd be calling people out um, who... If, if they don't engage and they don't want to be interviewed, then they can say that. But I think it's fair game then to say, you know, look, whatever councillor doesn't want to be interviewed. Very and I think good, the yeah. public need to know that. Then and Cara, well. we associate you with uh, autism and, uh, you know, pushing the, the, the story of autism, I suppose, and what it's like to be in a family where there's autistic children. Um, but are you broadening out what it is you're looking at now at this point as well? Are you, are you looking at other issues? Yeah, I suppose that um, I'm going to be asking them questions on local and national issues. And mm. it's um, just basically that I don't want to give too much away now because I know that there's <laughs> going to be loads of councillors listening to this and all that. But I suppose to answer the question you asked, I suppose it's not really that I'm going on to anything different. It's just that I'm going to be interviewing the candidates for the next local elections and for anyone who wants to become a, um, a county councillor and basically to get rid of all of the political offal and get straight to the point and that they'll only have two sentences to answer the question. Very good. Oh, so you're going to be that tight about it, are you? You're going to give them just but a there'll be no moment. gotcha questions right. or anything. They'll be very simple and Yeah, look, what she's going to do, to like, like, look, she'll ask them, like, as I said there, you know, like, look, I mean, she could ask them, um, I actually think there's actually going to be news media from this. We were just joking there uh, first in the ring next week is the mayor uh, uh, Richie Malai Richie, yes. but like you know she could ask him she was saying there I might ask him um, you know she was talking there to me the other day about the the, the unfortunate death of Ashley Murphy that was national mm. news like mm. the time and um, there was a figure there I saw so like several million it's mm. going to cost to keep that man in jail for mm. the rest of his life and the taxpayer is going to pay that bill is it a fair question to ask someone, um, you know, should that man uh, face the death penalty, mm. you know, instead of us picking up the tab for the next couple of years? Ask someone that question. So if we say Mayor Malai says, uh, oh, yeah, absolutely, he should get the death penalty. Mm. Then the headline the next day is Mayor Malai calls for death penalty from Clownhead. <laughs> <laughs> so you could just Be see... Be careful, how, you're scaring people off yeah. already, you know that, don't you? Yeah. You could just see, like, the headline. But yeah. all jokes like aside, I think that people would definitely be interested in hearing uh, politicians' views on both local and national issues. And I think this is mm. a great idea. And it's a great opportunity, I think, for candidates who are trying to break through. There's a kind of a... Uh, there's definitely, you know, people who are long-term councillors. I, mm. I think for any candidate, it's very hard to get past that. I don't think people ever really get to see who you are. And this is going to be a huge opportunity for people who might want to become a councillor mm. uh, to get their message out. Um, yeah, so you're going to also deal with people who are not current councillors, but people oh, yeah. who are people throwing who their hat in the ring, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Anyone who wants to become a county councillor in the next local elections, they'll have to come up to the no spin zone up in my dining room, <laughs> and there'll be no dossing allowed and no running the no away. No spin zone, I love but it. We'll we'll have just to create a no friend, spin zone. There was here. just something. She was looking up statistics there last night, and she came to me and she said, like, only twenty two percent of councillors in County Tipperary are women. I di- I didn't actually. That didn't occur uh-huh. to me. Nationally, it's one quarter. And she was saying, Daddy, why? Mm. And, like, why are the councillors at the moment not doing something about that? Mm. So, like, these are simple but fair questions. And probably, like, a county councillor listening, like, in the radio now will go, actually, that's a good point. Mm. Why is there only less than a quarter uh, in County Tipperary? Like, it, it should be 50-50 balance. You know, I mean, if we're going to have equality, then... So, like, I mean, that's a simple but it's a fair question. Right, but you know, these, these what are can all you do the about that things, in the future? Yeah. Absolutely. Interesting. In secondary school um, and with your new friends and stuff, were they all aware of who Cara was and what you were doing nationally and all of that, Cara? Well, did you did you discover that? Uh, yeah, look, I suppose I'm in the school about three, oh, over three months now and mm. I really enjoy it and all that, but I suppose all my friends are wicked aware of it and I suppose I've made loads of new friends and all that and they're all wicked supportive, which I really appreciate that and all that and they were just listening to the first part of it, although it's lunchtime now, so mm. not sure if they still are, but suppose another shout out to my classmates. That's, that's for sure. Are you going to return to Leinster House as well? Um, look, I am going to do it, like, a couple of times. Like, Leinster House is not over, but, like, I'm not going to be doing it every single week anymore mm. just because of secondary school and just... There's just different things going on now. Like, I'm in the Lara Show now, so course, I yeah. can't be missing too much school, you know? Yeah, well, well that's uh, for sure. What Was there dividend from that, from those visits to Leinster House, do you think, Mark? What, what what came from that, do you think? Yeah, look, I suppose she, she put down a great year, Fran. It was like a fantastic year. Uh, unfortunately, uh, autism in general, and I'm seeing this nationally, it's, it's, it's like it's off the table yeah. at the moment. And that's just, like, even for the national bodies, like, you never see As I Am in the news anymore. Yeah. There's, like, it's, it's true, really, actually, yeah. really, because other issues have... Look, I'm very disappointed in the national politicians. I, I, I I won't lie about that. Um, I'm very disappointed because they kind of brought it to a certain point, but Mm. then they're interested in other things. We've already had chats about this. You know, it's to get her in front of the Oireachtas committees in 2024. That's where you're going to bring it to national attention. Unfortunately, if the media drops a story, that's it. It's gone. The Leinster House is run by the media. Whatever is in the media, that's what they will go with on that week. And that's what they will respond to. Absolutely, absolutely. And look, some of the politicians have been very interested at various times. Um, Some of them dropped it like, like a hot potato. You know, uh, just wanted nothing. But to did do you it. not get guarantees? Didn't Michael Martin give some guarantees and Leo give some guarantees to Cara? Oh, absolutely. But yeah. you're like, like, I mean, even like the the UN Convention of Human Rights, they won't even are on on disabilities. They won't even sign the protocol in, which basically, for anyone listening, basically means that a parent has no right of complaint. So, like, like the government won't even comply with worldwide legislation never mind say you know like I mean how they treat people is just an absolute disgrace and why have have you have you gotten your head around that why yeah I, I, I have it's they have absolutely no interest in this it's ideology it is acceptable in this country t- to treat uh, disabled children like crap there's no other word and I, I've, I've said that here before and the government parties at the moment are the worst culprits by, by a million miles. That's a huge statement. It is, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, they had no... They've had, like, even, like, all the meetings we got with the Taoiseach and, and things like that, even the, the local representatives couldn't get those meetings. I got those meetings. 
So, like, we, we, we got the meeting with the Taoiseach, with the ministers. Um, there, there was no Fianna Gael person helped us. Or, you know, like, this year was a year that our work brought us those meetings. But we didn't get help from anybody. That's, so, that's incredible. Uh, it well, is, yeah. what, what about Sinn Féin? What's the story there? Yeah, look, as I said to you, uh, and, and I'm a former Garda, uh, you know, people always would say, oh, well, well you couldn't... You wouldn't, you wouldn't have a Sinn Féin type of, um, you know, political attitude. The, the thing I would say, though, is I've seen Sinn Féin become quite conservative. And it is actually, and we saw it again there, where, where, where they were supporting the government um, in various things. And then maybe one could argue they went over the, the mark by calling for Helen McEntee's head. But generally, they, they've actually gone quite conservative, mm. which is like, no longer will you hear, oh, when we come into government, we're going to change... Everything for disabled people, you just don't hear that um, either. So I think there's an awareness with Sinn Féin that they're dealing with a civil service structure in the background. That and, is, am I being completely cynical by saying maybe there's just not enough votes in this, Mark? Is that is that what it's really about? No, I don't uh, think so, Fran. I actually think it's it's they're, they're coming more to the centre. I think we're seeing yeah. this now in Ireland that there's... And you, you see, like, the riots in Dublin. It's, you know, to be on the, the fringes, fringes yeah. is just, like, everyone's pushing in towards the centre. And even, like, a vote for Sinn Féin wouldn't have been the vote it was 10 years ago. It's it's starting to become very much a centre vote. Um, and I, I'm starting to see less and less difference between all the parties now. So I presume for 2024, then, the attempt is to get this back on the agendas once again. The only thing that politicians will understand and I said this to you a year ago will be in approximately six or seven months time and a late late show appearance by Cara and the threat of something being said and then you'll see a type of a movement again towards that. There was like all the progress was made around the high profile media attendances and that's what I've I've learned and what I'm saying is if she was on the Late Late Show next Friday night it would have no effect it has to be within six months of the next election Very interesting um, so the first interviews we'll see that on the Nationalist when exactly Cara? And my first interview is on, actually on Saturday with Mayor Richie Malai, who I'll interview on the weekend. And it's going to be the greatest rumble of all time. <laughs> and I've heard a lot of rumours recently that he's doing a, approximately 500 push-ups a day getting ready for this. And that he's been he's seen swimming every single day and twice on a Sunday in the cold <laughs> river shore to try and toughen himself up. Please, um, to, please send me a video of that. To please answer the question, sorry, uh, the Nationalists are going to, and the Super ACR, I think, are going to uh, do a profile piece yes. the first week in January. And then the interviews will start appearing. So I suppose what I would say is um, the interviews, we're going to try and get them, most of them done in between the end of December and January. So there, there's no, for any councillors, there, there's no tactical there's advantage no to waiting. Very and good. then they just get released one by one, week after week. And that's right. how it works. Well, it's great to see you both and a happy Christmas happy to you, Christmas to you, to you. and the, the rest Christmas. of the family as well. Thanks very much indeed. News and information's coming up. Bye-bye, Cara. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final hour of tip today. Um, 083 311 for your text and uh, WhatsApp. Uh, our two vouchers celebrating Christmas shopping in Thurles. The Arch Bar voucher going to John Gould from Clonalty. Well done to you, John. And uh, the photo station 
uh, on the Liberty Square, I think it is, in uh, Thurlis. That uh, voucher is going to, let me see, Florence Davis, I think it is. Well done to you, Florence. And uh, we will have more vouchers to give away to celebrate Christmas shopping in Thurlis on the programme tomorrow. Now, a clean-up is underway today in Leitrim Village after it was hit by a localised tornado during the latest winter storm to hit the country. Substantial damage to buildings and cars and boats caused during a brief weather event shortly after midday uh, yesterday. Cahill Nolan of Ireland's Weather Channel joins me now. Cahill, good morning to you. Very good morning, friend. And uh, thanks for coming on with us today. Did this event, this weather event, did it surprise you, Cahill? Well, certainly I think it surprised pretty much everybody in terms of the I suppose the devastation caused by it in on one sense. And then even the fact that tornadoes, though they are not particularly uncommon in Ireland, we get about ten reported each year. What is very rare is that it's actually impacted a village directly and passed through. Normally these kind of tornadoes they don't last particularly long on the ground. So you have to be particularly unfortunate to be impacted by one of these, I suppose, rare weather events. Um, so I think that's particularly what we found most surprising, certainly within the world of meteorology. Uh, was the tornado in question, was it a result of Storm Fergus or was it a separate weather event altogether? So you could say the two were tied in together in the sense that the Storm Fergus itself, ahead of Storm Fergus, there was a couple of particularly strong thunderstorms developed within the area and basically through a combination of wind shear and interacting with this particular storm. It made the storm system itself, the, the thunderstorm responsible for the tornado, started to rotate. And as it rotates, it's essentially a little bit like, if you imagine looking at the, I suppose when we were kids, we used to be amazed by it. When you look at the little funnel that develops, even in the sink when you pull the plug, yes. it, kind of, yeah. it starts off kind of shallow and then it goes down to the surface. That's very much the same when we see kind of tornado events. So we saw that kind of same effect, this uh, narrowing of the funnel and then actually making its way down to the surface, albeit for only about a minute, a minute and a half. I have some of the photographs in, in front of me here. I mean, remarkably destructive, Carl. They really are. I suppose, look, at even the even yesterday's tornado, typically we measure tornadoes on what's called an enhanced Fujita scale. So they're given a rating from an EF1 all the way up to an EF5. An EF1 is probably what we saw yesterday, but even an EF1, the wind speed likely in the village yesterday, in that very concentrated area where it passed over, they were likely to have been in excess of 170 to 200 kilometres per hour. So phenomenally strong winds. If we think about that as red warnings issued for wind gusts up over 130 kilometres per hour, it really puts into perspective how severe the wind would have been in that area yesterday. Yeah, it's just incredible. And some of the descriptions I heard this morning, particularly from the, the bar restaurant on the main street there in Leitrim, um, it, it sounded, one of the ladies in question said, it sounded like articulated lorries rushing down through the village. I mean, it, it was that sonic. Absolutely. I think it's a frequent kind of uh, reference that you hear when you, when you hear people talk about tornadoes specifically thinking about maybe similar events in America. Yeah. They often describe it as, as a freight train essentially coming. Um, so absolutely, I would I would agree that that probably is the sound and the sensation that was felt yesterday by the residents of Leitrim Village as this particular tornado was making its way. Initially, I think it touched down across maybe parts of the river that was located locally and there's a couple of boats upturned, mm. I believe, from the pictures that I saw before making its way actually to the heart of the village then itself. And seemingly, I mean, the, the most destruction was caused within seconds, literally. Does it go and burn itself out then in some way? 
It does. With tornadoes in general, they don't tend to last that long, particularly. They're very destructive events, but they have a very short lifespan, really. So yesterday, this tornado would have only lasted, I think, described by locals, only about a minute or so, mm. which would kind of concur with typically what we expect of tornadoes in Ireland. Some of the more powerful tornadoes in America, they're producing much larger, more destructive systems. They could continue on for a couple of hours, maybe in the most extreme cases. But generally speaking, they touch down and, and within a matter of minutes, they start to recede back up into the thunderstorm itself. So you have to be very unfortunate, really, to be impacted the way that Leitrim Village was yesterday, certainly in the context of Irish climatology, by such a tornado. And at the very top of our conversation, Gahal, you said that an average of 10 tornadoes occurs in Ireland uh, every year. Why, why don't we hear more about them? Is it because they're not in residential areas, I suppose, where they could cause destruction? Well, that would probably be the case, Fran. A lot of the tornadoes that we see in Ireland, this, if you want to call it a little bit of a stretch, but you could call it the Tornado Alley of Ireland, let's say, is typically across parts of the Midlands, the North Midlands. This region is most prone. It's not one of the most densely populated regions of the country. So when they tend to touch down, they really don't cause that much impact. Typically, the, the biggest impacts we've typically seen, I suppose, are maybe it's farm buildings mm. or... Um, farm buildings are just even uh, vegetation within the area trees I'm thinking of there was two interesting events when we think of tornadoes in, in the past context and the first was the first ever documented case of a tornado actually occurred in uh, Rostella which is just outside Quebecan on, on the West Mead Offaly border and that was from 1054 it's the first ever documented case for tornado in the world um, and a second one, which occurred in the 1800s, I can't remember specifically the date, but it was it was in relation to another quite strong storm. It would have been a name storm at the time, let's say, pushing into the Atlantic. But similarly, thunderstorms were found with this particular storm. And uh, a tornado passed through Nina, and there's reports in some of the older newspaper articles at the time. So we do typically see tornadoes in Ireland. It's just that, on average, they really don't impact residential areas, as unfortunately was the case yesterday. It's incredible. And Storm Fergus, was it as strong as we believed at the time, or did it sort of, you know, was it confined to mostly to the West Coast? So I suppose it's it's interesting. We kind of, when we look at the tornado yesterday, we need to kind of differentiate between those two particular events, yes. although they're caused by the same system. They're two very different kind of weather events. The storm itself, Storm Fergus, certainly have brought um, quite substantial flooding along to the promenade, Salt Hill, which is, again, it's, it's typical when we see higher tides and we see storms coming in from the Atlantic that we do get floods in Galway Bay. But I suppose wind speed, the strongest, I think, measured was 119 kilometres per hour, which would put it in the status orange category. Um, it's certainly the biggest impacts were felt across counties Galway, maybe part Clare as well. So I think in terms of the weather warnings, they were accurate in the sense of, of, of deciphering which areas would see the worst of the conditions. Elsewhere across the country, I suppose we would think of it as a, as a very average kind of storm. It's not going to live too long in the memories. I think when we look back at Storm Fergus in years to come, the most, I suppose, uh, the most frequent mention of it will obviously be that tornado in Leitrim, although separate from, from the specific storm itself. I suppose. Are we done with uh, storms for the foreseeable now, Carl? For the foreseeable future, we are. We will see another area of low pressure pushing in later this evening and tonight, but that will really only bring, I suppose, heavier outbreaks of rain and a freshening of the winds, but they won't be gale force gusty by any means, maybe in Atlantic coastal counties, but certainly not for ourselves, Tipperary. And looking beyond that, from Wednesday onwards, we start to see high pressure building, so it'll really settle down conditions in the lead into Christmas, in towards Christmas itself thereafter. 
it's a little bit uncertain. Some models bring in a more colder northerly flow, which would obviously increase the chance of wintry precipitation in and around the Christmas period, whereas other models kind of keep a, a gentle westerly flow, but kind of high pressure dominating. So it remains to be seen around the Christmas period, but certainly in the lead into it, drier, brighter and settled conditions, thankfully. Well, Carl, we always appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on with me this morning, Carl. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's Thank you very much, Carl friend. Nolan there of Ireland's Weather Channel speaking to us there about the uh, tornado in the village of uh, Leitrim uh, yesterday. Incredible stuff, incredible photographs on the uh, newspapers today and coverage on uh, uh, TV last night as well. 1800 Do you want to talk to me about tornadoes? In fact, we're, we, we were trying to remember this morning, was there not uh, tornadoes down in... Um, Plane and stuff some years ago. I remember seeing pictures of uh, mobile homes being devastated uh, by by these tornadoes. Maybe maybe you could remind me about that. Oh eight three three double one double three double one. Now back to the funeral of Shane McGowan because there've been calls on social media. Um, following the funeral to host a tribute to the musical legend every year in Nina Town, and Lucia uh, joins me now. Lucia, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you keeping? I'm very well indeed, and good to talk to you today. You think this would be a good idea? I really do. Yeah, if we if we're just so nice to have something for him to keep his, you know, keep his name alive out there, and you know what? Like we could raise funds for charities that are close to his heart as well, like help the homeless. It could be mental health services, you know, addiction services, things like that. I think it's a good way to do that, and people of Nina are just so generous that I know they'd be behind this idea as well, like. Yeah, I think it's a lovely idea indeed. And would you invite some of his friends each year to take part oh, in God. this? And yeah, yeah, definitely invite his friends. His friends here from Nina as well. Like I'm sure they'd love to get behind it and be up there singing his songs and be proud to sing his songs. And then you never know, friends from all over the place have his family there. You know, it'd be. Mm. If, I think it would just be a lovely idea. I think so too. And is there a lot of talk about this at this point, Lucia? Well. I suggested it on Friday. It was actually during the funeral when I suggested it on, and I didn't expect to get a response that I did. And there's a lot of people agreeing and that want to go ahead and would love to go ahead with it. Now, I was talking to a man, his name's Martin Grace. I'm sure you're... I know Martin very well, yes. Him. Yeah. And he was saying that he'd got onto some councillors um, on, online and that they're willing to propose, like, a m- memorial kind of for him, like a mural outside... Mm. Possibly, you know, or any places in Nina, their sure. new car park. Yes. So I was asking then, do you think he could, you know, mention the tribute to him and to the councillors and that? And he said he would, and that Castle Fest is now ending, like it's come, you know, mm. to, to an end, and mm. that we could possibly do it at that time of year as well. Like, yeah, I, I don't I... think it matters what time of year that they do it, but it'd be just so nice to get it done. Yes, because I think people, people will want to remember what happened last oh, last Friday as well. I was talking to Conor really earlier on. He gave me a sense of what happened inside the church. I know, Lucia, you were outside of the church. What what was it like to be outside of the church during the ceremony? It, it, it actually felt like you were inside. The, they had lovely they had speakers outside. They were nice and clear. You could hear everything that was going on. You could feel the sense. You know, you could hear the people cheering, and it was actually like a concert. It wasn't like a funeral. I'm sure he would have loved being there himself. Mm, like, mm. they said that he didn't like funerals. He probably went to one or two. I think they said his mother and... Um, Ronnie Drew's Ronnie. funeral as yeah, well. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. 
So I'm sure he probably would have enjoyed a funeral like this himself. Yes. You know, and the dancing and the singing, and it was just, it was beautiful. It just didn't feel like a funeral. And then the talk, the other way, his sister went up and she gave lovely stories about his childhood and stuff. You'd actually want to stay there and hear more. My God. So, and, and when when the cortege um, emerged from the church then, what, what was that like, Lucia? Um, now, there was, as you expect, fans going up and Joe trying to be the first to get the pictures of the hearse and stuff and yeah. all that. Now, that, you know, but you, you expect that. People get hyper and stuff. But then yeah. there was the other people who let themselves bow their heads as the hearse went by and, yeah. Mm. Were, were you know, very was, respectful, I suppose. Exactly. Yes. That's yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I I was looking at uh, your own piece up on uh, social media, Lucia, and uh, it's interesting that some of the commentary under your piece, some people are very critical of RTE where this was concerned because they yeah, were saying yeah. Sky News covered it, BBC covered it extensively, RTE not so much. Um, no, I think they just had it on the news, like on the news channel or news or something. Yeah. But yeah, not everyone has access to Sky either. But I'm sure they have their phones, like. You know, it was not like if they had their phones, they surely could download it. Or on Shane's own page on Facebook, yes. he had, they had it up yeah. on that as well. But I don't think many people knew about that either. So, mm. but, again, but I, I thought the coverage yeah. was good enough. Like, yeah. we watched it now at home first on Sky News, and then we headed up to the church as I have a little baby now, and he wouldn't have been able for the church show for yes, that yeah. length of time. So we stayed at home and we watched it, and it was such a beautiful funeral. It was, it was lovely. My son now and my brother, they were inside the church, but they were there from 12 o'clock. Were they indeed? It was a long day for them. And what, what, what did they tell you about their experience, Lucia? They said it was worth it. It was it was lovely just to be there. Mm. And, you know, they're mm. big fans now. They'd be very big fans. Yeah. And my mother as well, but my mum won't be there for that. Of course, yeah. Time now either. But, I mean, it was historical. Yeah. People for decades will, will talk about this. Oh, know. they will. Oh, to be sure, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, Lucia, let's, let's put it out there. What would you like people listening to do then if they're of the same mind as you in terms of, you know, honouring Shane on an annual basis? What what should they do? I'd love them to get together, have a meeting and organise something. It's exactly like Castlefest. What to do If they could do that with Castlefest, well, if they can do this for charities, and like, as I said, the people of Mina are so generous. Like, they do, they get together, and we're very welcoming people, as people have said on social media, how the Nina people were lovely and friendly. You know, mm. it'll bring people to the town, and mm. remember Shane, and um, donate mm. to those char- charities that need us. Very good. Were, were you proud of it all, Lucia? I'm very proud. Very yeah. proud. Very, very proud to be Nina, Nina woman, and very proud of Shane, and I'm actually very proud of his wife, Victoria, as well. I adore her. I follow her on Facebook, and she just seems so down to earth. Mm. I, actually, I, I believe she's nurse angels. Mm. I, I've always said to man, and my brother is like, she's she's just so nice. And she, like, she even talks about other people. Like, she's hurting herself yes. as much as she is now. But she still had the heart to bring other people into it and how you should be nice to these people. And, you know... She's lovely. Mm. Lovely, lovely girl. Already people coming in with some great ideas. One person saying uh, we should have an annual Shane McGowan traditional music festival, including uh, music lessons and the like, uh, similar to the Clancy Festival or, um, in Clare, I suppose. Um, it's it, it's a nice, nice idea. It's a, I, I think this could catch on, Lucia. I hope it does. I really do. I hope the people of Nina get behind it. I hope the town council get behind it and... 
just the councillors as well, you know, everyone, just get behind it and support it. I think it's going to be a fantastic idea and, you know, really help these people. Mm-hmm. They need it. And Shane's name needs to live on forever. Well, it's lovely to talk to you today, Lucy, and a you happy too, Christmas friend. to you and your family as well. And thanks for coming on with me. Thank you, you too. Take care, friends. Bye-bye, Janelle. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Lucia there. What do you make of that? Oh, wait, three, three, double one, double three, double one. Noel was on to say, as far as I can recall, Fran, there was a mini tornado around Gurtnahoo in the mid-2000s, which made the news. Is that true indeed? Wow. Okay, and again, if anybody else remembers that, you might like to uh, tell us. Oh, wait, three, three, double one, double three, double one. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie now My old friend Paul McCarthy was on and Paul says, and this is following on from my conversation with uh, Senator Hearn earlier on, we were speaking about uh, water, particularly water, outages in the Clanmel area and Paul says that water from the shore won't end the outage problems in Clanmel. Brown water from mountain streams flows into the river so how will river water benefit us? And he goes on to say that cryptosporidium uh, remains an issue too and aquifer water is the solution. Um, is that some sort of filtering, is it, for, for water? I, I'm not sure. Paul, we'll have to talk about this at some stage or other. Um, thank you for that. 83 And you can email, by the way, at any time as well. That's uh, tip today at tipfm.com. Now, Carmel Evans is the owner of The Wardrobe in uh, Carrick and Shure and joins me now. Carmel, good morning to you. Good morning. And lovely to talk to you today. First of all, just to clear things up, the wardrobe is what? Is it a it, boutique, Carmel? It's yeah, it's in the wardrobe. It's um we have a boutique in it's a ladies' boutique, a women's boutique in Carrick onshore and we have another one in Clamel. Very good indeed. You posted some concerns on social media about your business in Carrick in particular, Carmel. What what are your concerns? Yeah, my concerns was um the I don't know if anyone who saw my pictures, nobody could get into the in and out of the shop last Wednesday. So we actually closed up and we let the girls go home. But my point is, I I have to make this really clear. I am absolutely delighted to see everything going on in Carrick, you know, broadband, all of that. That's not the problem. The problem is it's December. And to have this happening in December, I mean... Everybody knows that what we take in in December carries us through the quiet months of January and February, especially in a small town like Carrick on Shore. Like, we really need it. And the same thing happened Good Friday, another fantastic shopping day, and nobody could get in and out of the town again. So it's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. And, Carmel, these roadworks, because that's what they are, what, what exactly are they doing? Well... The one that was outside our shop now was broadband. Now, I I'm, I don't know what's going on with the roadworks. They've been, as far as I can see, it's been going on for over a year. Mm. Now, I can I can honestly say, um, when we went down, now I, come, I travel up and down from me, so we came down, say, at the beginning of December to Carrick-on-Shore to do our Christmas window. So we left Carrick-on-Shore, and then we headed up to Clamell. Now, this is about 3 o'clock in the day, half 3 in the day, heading into Clamell. The amount of traffic coming from Clamell into Carrick was about 3 kilometres, 
long. Mm-hmm. And we would leave in character heading to Clamel. Now, we were okay coming out, but going in. So I'm saying, who is going to stop off in Carrick and Shore and do their shopping if this is what's happening? Did you get any indication beforehand that there was going to be digging up happening outside of your shop in Carrick and Shore for broadband? No, and this is what annoyed me. Now, somebody did comment on my page that there was, that he seen on walking by, like, um, leaflets stuck into letterbox. Now, I didn't get one. Nobody came into me. Nobody emailed me. Nobody rang me. And I can also speak on behalf of um, Wurlitzer next door as well. Nobody called him. Nobody came in. So, no, the answer to that is no. And you had to shut up shop then on what would be a lucrative day, needless to say, for your business. Yes, on a Wednesday, yep, and send the girls home. So, like, Uh. you know, the whole thing, we like, we pay our rates, we pay our rents, we do everything right, and then this happens in December. This is my whole point. It's December. Like... They actually said, um, we heard back afterwards that they were fixing the footpaths the next day and they will be coming back in January. Now, surely, if they can come back in January, why would they Why would they start in December? Why would they not just wait till January? I mean, no time is a good time, don't get me wrong. This has to be done. It has to be done. And we can all accept that, but surely it wouldn't happen in Grafton Street in December. So why carry Shore? And do you feel that Carrick and Shore in particular would be treated differently to other places? Is that, is that what you're saying to me? Well, I, absolutely. I don't think you would... Would you think you'd see roadworks and footpaths taken up in December in Grafton Street in Dublin? Well, I've I seen, don't think I, anyone I've, would put up it. Yeah, well, maybe not in Grafton Street, but I've seen some daft stuff, uh, stuff happening at inappropriate times around the county anyway. That's uh, yeah, for certain, yeah, well, you know. Maybe this is what, you know, I mean, somebody's given out, these permits are given out, there is a time time limit, so, you know, nobody is really considering, I don't think anyway, you know, the shops, the retail shops, I mean, absolutely, there's money has been spent on roads and roadworks and broadband, it's needed, fantastic, I'm delighted for all of that, but if you go into Carrigan Town, I mean, I'm there over 12 years, I can't see nothing happening with all the shops or the streets or you know, places are still empty. No buildings are being done up. So unless recently, maybe, but nothing is being done for, I don't think, for the shops in the main street. And you alluded to the extensive roadworks that has been happening for quite some time now. Have you seen a drop in business because... Oh, God, because 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100%, yeah, 100%. So, yeah, it's it's really... Um, there's another friend of mine who put an awful lot of money in, opened up a new hairdresser. She had one. She renovated another building, and that was only a couple of weeks ago. And, I mean, she hired her team of girls working there, her staff, done up as a hairdresser, knew you in Carrick. She actually, again, they couldn't... The customers couldn't get in to her shop. I don't know how long it lasted for poor old Donna, but um, they, they had... Appointments cancelled galore, and this is a brand new place. Hmm. So, this is what we're up against, and, and, and Carmel, we're getting no help. Carmel, well, I was going to ask you about that. Do you feel that there's anybody representing you? No, no. no. And this is—I probably wouldn't talk to you other if I thought that was the case. But no, nobody is. Nobody is really helping us. Nobody is. No. Okay. Well, let's put it out there to public representatives, and let's let's see what reaction we get back where this is uh, okay. concerned. Just uh, strictly on a business level, how are things looking for Christmas, Carmel? I mean, is there demand out there? Are people spending um, I think money? It's- Steady. No, 
it's steady, yeah. and I, I prefer steady, you know, steady yeah. than big rushes. So Carmel is fine. Yes, Carrick is a lot quieter with everything going on. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit disappointing down in Carrick, but all I can tell you is the people of Carrick on shore, they will, they always step up and they do support local. They are a wonderful bunch of people. So, yeah, we will rely on them. But as for, you know, people coming up from other cities or villages, no, we won't see them. I don't think we'll see them this year with what's going on in the town. But now, who knows? You know, I'm always a positive person. Well, hope, but hope, right now we're so. relying on, yeah, people yeah. who live in the town what, to what, support us. What's big for you in boutiques uh, at the moment in the world? Oh, <laughs> yeah, the massive fashion here at the moment, and it's not even clothes. Well, actually, it's knee boots and tote bags. The biggest fashion thing at the moment are these tote bags. I don't know if you know what they well, are. What, what are they, Carmel? <laughs> they're they're a regular. They're a bag, a square bag, and it has the tote, T O T E, written on it. Oh. And they, you know what? I cannot keep them. I mean, we sold out. I think within 24 hours, I had to get my supplier to get them back in again, and my supplier is now sold out. So we, I think we got a delivery this morning. Um, that's it. And when, when they're gone, they're gone now. And what drives what drives that, Carmel? Has some celeb been having a tote bag or what? Obviously, obviously. Actually, I didn't really look into it because um, it yeah. was just came such as a shock. And <laughs> you know, I spotted one on a magazine and said, "Okay, this looks good." So I got them in, and yeah, well, it's unusual, unusual. And, and, that, and knee, knee boots are back. Are back? Yeah, they haven't been back really for three years. So, but they're back in a big way this year. Very yep. good indeed. Well, Carmel, we wish you the very best with the business. <laughs> thank and you. Thank you. Thank you for thank coming you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's Carmel Evans there, owner of In the Wardrobe um, Boutiques, and particularly we were chatting about the one there in Carrick and Shore. Now, latest data from the 2022 census shows uh, driving remains the most popular mode of transport for commuters in the Premier County. There's a surprise for you. However, Tipperary people are least likely in the country to commute by bus. And people in the Premier County were the least likely to travel to work by bus at uh, 528, or just 1%, really. Vicky was in touch with us about this and joins me now. Good morning to you, Vicky. Good morning, Fran. Uh, really good to talk to you today. You're kind of a bit scathing about this because you're basically saying, what do they expect? Because we don't have public transport as we wanted, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, I'm living out in Mulnahone. Um I moved here in 1997. And when I moved to Mulnohan as a 17-year-old, you could hop on the bus, head into Clonmel, you could pop into Kilkenny, you could pop up to Arlingford, and uh, you can't go anywhere now. There's no, there's been no bus at all. We have a Ring-A-Link that travels to Clonmel on a Thursday, and from my neighbour, uh, he told me he can go to Kilkenny on a Saturday, and that's about it. So people in Mulnohan and the surrounding areas, I mean, Drang and Clunin, there's nothing. Because the bus used to go from Clonmel, it would head out through Drang and Clunine, and you'd come in by the Bulmers factory there into the town. And it was great. You'd pop in, you'd go into now, you'd go into Nada, you'd get your bits and pieces, you know, as a teenager. And mm, mm. fast track to 2023, and you can go nowhere. And it's, I mean, the yeah. report, the, yeah, the report said 1%. Mm. And it kind of, when I read it, I thought, wow, like you make us look like we're we're lazy people, you know, we're not contributing. But sure, how can we? Well, that's, a, that's the point community. I was going to, to make to you, that if you look at how it was reported, it's almost scolding us in some way for not using public transport. But as you say, it's, it's not available to many of us. No, I mean, I only learned to drive five years ago and it was purely out of necessity. You know, I was 38 learning to drive. Mm. 
So, so you, you wouldn't mean, be driving if you had an option. Uh, would, no. that, would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was a, maybe I was lazy or just too <laughs> scared. But um, yeah, it, it became necessity. I had teenagers, you know, they needed to get places. And, you know, medical appointments, school, different things. You know, I'm, I'm, back, I'm doing back to education inside in Kilkenny. I couldn't get into that and retrain myself. You know, I was lucky that I got employment in the village here for 15 years. And, and the, before that, I was um, in Callan and, you know, I was mm. fairly local and there was always people to give me a lift and I had great family and friends. But it became, you know, it's embarrassing as you get older that you can't go anywhere. And then even talking to my neighbour, you know, he was saying that if you get the ring-a-link, you can't, you're dropped off in the centre of town, you have like two hours and it doesn't bring you out to the hospital, it doesn't bring you out to Tesco's. So you, you kind of have to do everything in the centre of town. And, you know, that's not really acceptable for elderly people who may have hospital appointments. Now, I understand there's a lovely new um, bus service gone into Clonmel yes. there that's obviously yeah. going to service all those places. That's great for people that are coming in from Ulnahone and, and, you know, the different mm. small villages. But like you said, I wrote, I think I wrote, duh, because, mm. you know, scolding us because we're not using it. But it's, it's not here. I was looking through the rest of your... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. I was looking through the rest of your yeah. comments and uh, let's put it this way, I couldn't really read them out on air, but suffice to say no. that you're very, very negative about the current government. I am, yeah. Especially Eamon Ryan. And I mean, it's just farcical, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, he's talking about electric cars. Is there a charging point for electric vehicles in Mullinahone? No, there's not. The nearest one is in Callan. There's two in the church car park, and I believe they've put them into the Super Valley car park. What good is that to people? You know, he comes up with all these initiatives, and I, there was something he said there, I think, last year about, you know, rural communities pooling their cars mm. together. I mean, yes. what kind of a stupid comment is that to come out with? Look, once you pass the red cow, they don't care what goes on down here. They literally don't. They haven't a clue. They send their representatives around door-to-door when it comes to election time. They don't even have the gumption to come down to the rural villages and see what's going on. The only person you ever see out and about is Matty McGrath. And all they do to that poor man is ridicule him above him in the government. But he's the only one speaking out for us. He's the only one who represents us. And so no, I have you, no little or no faith. You'd be right there, Fran, yeah. Yeah, but do, do you feel that there isn't a voice for, for rural Ireland then... Um... In, in, I do, yeah. Well, Matty does his absolute Yes, but in terms best. of a government party, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Do you, do you figure that none, none of the parties are a voice for, for rural Ireland? No, I mean, listening to the lady that was on there beforehand, mm. um, you need to come out and see the footpaths in Mulhone. You know, they're, they're scandalous. You know, there's, there's no investment. When I moved here, there was four shops, there was four pubs, there was a petrol station, you know... We had, we had stuff going on. We're down to one pub that is open seven days a week, one that opens at the weekend, and we're down to two shops. We have no petrol station anymore, and our community centre, you can't even get into it. We lost our community welfare officer. You know, you, you have to stand outside to go in and see the doctor. Like, it's just, it's all gone backwards. You know, the, we're meant to be, you know, being progressive, but I just don't see it be honest with you. There's very little for my boys growing up here. And I mean, if, if my 16-year-old is talking about leaving the country, that's frightening. At 16 years of age, he's saying he's going to have to leave because there's nothing here. He's already having that conversation with you, Vicky. 
Absolutely, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. He's planning to get an apprenticeship, become an electrician, go to Australia, him and his older brother, and make their money and come back. And that's the only way they see that they'll be able to afford to move out and buy something. I mean, I have a 21-year-old and he's living at home. There's no way he's going to be able to move out to rent anything. And that's down to government policies. They're looking after others. They're not looking after our own. I was going to refer to that part of your correspondence with us. You, Mm. you, You think they're looking after others, but not looking after our own. Absolutely. I mean, there was an initiative put out. The European Commission adopted a proposal in May 2015, and it was the European Agenda on Migration. And basically, they're looking after people coming into the country, but they're not looking after their own. If there was only 10,000 homeless in Ireland before the war in Ukraine, how come we've been able to house over 100,000 people? Where was the appetite to look after the 10,000? Surely if there was money to look after everybody else, why couldn't we look after our own? And now we have 14,000 Irish people who are homeless, including lots and lots of children in there as well. Yeah. I mean, it's look... The, the, figure, the facts and the figures, they speak for themselves. So that's why I had such a scathing response. It's out of frustration, you know, for your kids going forward and for, you know, our village and other communities around the place. If it wasn't four communities banding together, like that lady said, the Carrick people supporting her, if Mulna Home people didn't stand together and do stuff, there'd be nothing happening. And Vicky, do you think you speak for your friends and your relations and stuff? Where this is, in other words, are you having similar conversations to this with people? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And nobody, nobody listening, you think? No, they don't listen. No, they don't. I mean, the government laughs at people, you know, and that that whole thing that went on above in Dublin with those poor children and their care worker—that narrative has been twisted and turned around to bring in this hate speech law, which is very frightening. And I know I'm going off on a tangent here and it's nothing to do with transport, but they don't listen to what's happening. People are unhappy. They're unhappy with the way they're being treated in their local communities. They're not being listened to. Let's be honest, they're not. Every social media, if you put up anything, everyone is saying the same thing. There is a real level of frustration. Yeah, and do you have concerns about the hate speech? I mean, for instance, the conversation that you and I are having now, um, mm. that may be misconstrued by some people. Absolutely. Uh, and if they yep. choose to do that and complain, we might have an issue. Do, does that concern you? Absolutely. I mean, everyone has opinions. You know, I, I, I wrote a little piece there a while ago about opinions being like uh, buttholes, to mm. be honest with mm. you. We all have them. Yeah. Um And thank God we do, because, you know, opinions lead to ideas which lead to change. If you can't be free to say what you want to say and complain if you need to complain, nothing gets done. If that lady in Carrick was to say, stay silent, you know, you know, she has to be able to voice her concerns because that's her livelihood that's Mm. being impacted. Why shouldn't she be allowed to say it? Why shouldn't I be allowed to say that, you know, the lack of buses? You know, people are meant to go and get employment. You take Mulnahone. There's a, you know, there are unemployed people here. You're told you have to go and get employment. How can you go and get employment if you can't travel? If there's no services or infrastructure to, to support people to go out and do those things. So, yeah, we, if we're told we can't speak and we can't complain, then what happens? We're silenced and we just have to get on with it. You know, this hate speech law is very frightening, I think. And, and it leads... Children are stupid and they do stupid things, you know, and they say things... You know, if they put comments out on social media, which they all do constantly, are they going to, you know, 
as people are saying, and I don't know how true this is, that, you know, a guard can come into your house and seize your phone and your laptops and all this kind of thing. If they think that there's a threat, if you may have something, that's ridiculous. We can't live in a world like that. But that's what we're looking at. And Vicky, why aren't we hearing from more Vickies on national TV and radio? And uh, I don't know. My husband says I'm a bit of a gob sometimes, so maybe... <laughs> maybe I'm just a bit of a god but I, look I just get frustrated I get passionate about things if I see things that are wrong then I'll say it um, I've been asked to speak on Tip FM before and I never did it but I kind of felt this one I was like no I've had enough now you know you, more people do need to speak up more people do need to air their opinions and it's not that they're wrong or you know that you're being aggressive just say what you're mm. feeling we, and, 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 and thank I don't God want for to, people like you. I, I, oh, well, thank you very much. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. But you're not. Mm. You sound to me like, okay, you're angry, but you're a decent person. So you're you're not talking about race here. You're not talking about hatred here or any of that. You're talking about practicalities of looking after people. Are you not? Absolutely. I mean, if truth be told, I'm a blow into this country. I blew over in 1986 from England. I blew into Mulnahone in '97. I have a mixed, not mixed race, but I have English ancestry, you know, French ancestry. I, I'm the least, I could never be racist. They would be very hypocritical of me. But I'm absolutely for the community, for people, for family, and for looking out, out for each other. Absolutely. But you feel there's not a political party out there that is your voice, essentially? I think individuals definitely try. I think... You know, but I think once they get into big parties, they get stifled and they get silenced. That's what I feel. I think there's an awful lot of very good intent. We have Kevin O'Mara and Imelda Goldsborough around here who look after us as best they can. But their hands get tied to a certain extent. And I think that with all the good intentions in the world, the bigger parties, they get shut down by European policy. You know, there's good individuals in every party, but... They lose their, they just get lost in it all, and I just don't think that they have the power to do as much as they want to do. Yeah, there was a very interesting commentary from the MEP Sean Kelly I read over the weekend. Now I'm paraphrasing it because it's not in front of me, but basically he said, "Vote for me to stay in Europe because at the end of the day, that's really where the decisions are made." Now I'm paraphrasing him, but that was the general gist of what he was saying. I find that really, really, really sobering and interesting. No, he, I think he's right. Mm. And if you look at Mick Wallace and Claire Daly, mm. you know they're they're out there and they're doing they're trying their damnedest. But they, you know, you see the policies, mm. the whole war in Palestine and everything. They're really voicing the Irish opinion and the Irish feeling. But I mean, how many? Yeah, but are a bit a bit like you said about Matty, they're lampooned all of the time. Yeah. You know, absolutely ridiculed. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Vicky, Vicky, lovely to talk to you. Really, really interesting. So I'm delighted you decided to come on. And uh, thank you for that, Vicky. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. And I'm not sure. I don't know how interesting it was or anything, but well, that, that's how we feel out here, I suppose. Well, it was very interesting and delighted to give a voice to Mulnahone as well. Vicky, thanks and a happy Christmas to you and your family. Thank you very much indeed. And to you. Take thank care. Thanks, Brent. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. A big response to Vicky's chat with me uh, there. Um, let me just bring you a couple of them. Uh, one listener says, that woman uh, talking now about hate speech laws and refugees, she speaks for 90% of uh, Irish people. 
So there you are. To uh, text fair play to Vicky, says another listener. Uh, she makes a point very well with no aggression. If we had more Vickies uh, to speak out, what a difference it could make. We're a very quiet nation and we put up with a lot of what's wrong. And that's in from Phil today. Patrick says 1,000% agree with uh, Vicky and couldn't have put it uh, better. Well, she was very eloquent indeed, Patrick, I have to agree. Um Another listener saying, Fran, listening to that woman, there is no voice for rural Ireland, public transport and certainly health. If it doesn't affect Dublin, it doesn't matter, even down to the weather. Uh, if uh, Dublin gets snow, it's the talk of the news. Rural Ireland, uh, people could be snowed uh, snowed in, snowbound, and it doesn't seem to matter, says uh, one of our listeners. Now, we put it out there as well, just to, to reflect some of what's on social media about Shane's funeral, and um, people who, you know, thought it was a wonderful event still making the point, did it set a precedent around what is acceptable in a church where eulogies are concerned and where uh, music choice is concerned, just to bring you some reaction to that. Helen says, I don't begrudge Shane a fabulous funeral, but our military, for example, are often refused the tricolour on their coffin in a church. Uh, your family should be able to decide what it is you want. Marion was on to say, I think the church should let people decide on what they want at a funeral. I think this is why people are turning away and removing their loved ones straight from a funeral home uh, or their home to a cremation ceremony because it's much more informal and can sometimes be a happy send-off. I understand there should be some limitations. You don't want to see a complete farce in the church, but song choice and personal readings, uh, etc., should be allowed and not just for the elite. Helena was on to say, so canon law is now out the window. But I'm not exactly a, a canon law scholar, Helena, so I don't know what it says in canon law about how a funeral should be conducted, but I'll certainly have a look at that. Um, Shane's uh, uh, funeral was as it should be, a celebration of life, uh, says a listener. Somebody else saying, I'd hate to be any parish priest that refuses a family's request now. Uh, it will be taken as discrimination and it could even end up in the courts. Babs was on to say, yeah, I agree with a celebration of life, but sometimes there's no harm to have some rules at least. I was at a funeral one time where a person giving the eulogy called the deceased a bee and uh, the C word was used at least uh, three times. So there you go. Well, that's a, a rather extreme eulogy, I'm sure you'll uh, admit. Um, I want to acknowledge today the passing of uh, Jonathan Irwin. Uh, Jonathan, of course, the founder of Jack and Jill Children's Foundation. He was uh, 82 years old and he himself suffered a personal loss and turned his grief into a vision to to help others. And that is, of course, the Jack and Jill uh, Children's Foundation. But he was a wonderful, wonderful man. And I know that's something that's tossed around very easily nowadays. You know, oh, somebody's a wonderful and they're a legend and all of that. But this guy was goodness personified as far as I'm concerned. He was a guest on the programme many, many times over the years. And anybody who worked with me here always had the same to say about him. He was humble. Whenever he came on air, he expressed his gratitude for us giving him a platform to be uh, on air. And, you know, I, I just thought he was a wonderful man. I think he should be remembered today. So that's the late, uh, great Jonathan Irwin, who has passed away at the age of 82. That's it from me. I'm a producer. Ali looks after her content. Stephen's on the way with the Time Tunnel. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today 
with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 